Kentucky NASCAR Race Review with Hot Topic Sound Off. And joining me today is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. It's a Thursday afternoon this time, but we are on a Thursday. <laughs> yes, indeed. We are putting together a podcast today because of the Xfinity Series race that will be running tonight during our normal live broadcast. So uh, everybody will be listening in on uh, podcast this time. I will go through the agenda. First, we're going to give a few updates from the ARCA East and West. They are not racing this weekend. And then right after that, we'll get into the ARCA Menard Series that will be racing at Kentucky Speedway this weekend. Then we preview the Gander uh, and RV Outdoor Truck Series race at Kentucky. That should happen at the top of the first half hour. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I should say the top of the second half hour. And then uh, at 20 minutes after, we will get into the Xfinity Series race that's taking place at Kentucky tonight. Uh, that's Thursday night. Then we preview the NASCAR Cup Series at Kentucky, and then that's followed up with our Hot Topic Sound Off with our fan for racing crew. And I know they're biting at the bit and ready to come on board for that discussion. So definitely looking forward to uh, to that uh, half hour of our show. Uh, now we'll go ahead and get started with our updates from the Arkham and Art Series East and West. Uh, I would refer everybody uh, to the ArcaRacing.com website. They have a lot of great information there. You can see the schedule and the standings for those series. Let's go ahead and start with the uh, ARCA West standings. They are the ones who raced most recently. Jay, if you want to go ahead and go All right. that. Try, trying to get that pulled up right now. While he's doing that, I'll just kind of say that in four races in this series, Jesse Love has just been incredible. He has two victories and two runner-up finishes, uh, which makes him at the top of that leaderboard in the series point standings for this year. All right, so you're right. He does have those two wins. That will give him the points lead by 17 points. He currently sits at 182 Blaine Perkins right behind him, though, with one win, three top fives and three top tens at 165. Again, a 17-point gap. Then is Gracie Trotter at 27 back, Trevor Huddleston at 30 back, and Todd Souza at minus 33 from that points lead. The next five, six is Geo Skelsey, Lawless Allen, uh, Holly Holland, excuse me, Holly Holland, and Takuma Koga, as well as Bobby Hillis Jr. in the top ten, and those all ten of those have made all four races, and that total points gap there all the way to tenth is 58 points. Okay, so we have more racing to look forward to in this series, and uh, I can't wait to see how this continues to play out for the remainder of this season. Uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, and let's go ahead and give the uh, update here, too, on the ARCA East Series and their series point standings. I know that uh, at the top. Are you ready? No. Okay. 
I know at the top of those standings, uh, we have the uh, – there's only been, I think, three races or maybe only you know, only two races in the Arkham Menard Series East so far. So uh, they have a lot more races ahead for them. Sam Mayer's at the top of that list, but it's a little bit tighter gap. It is a tight gap. The top two drivers each have a win, two top fives and two top tens. That being, like you said, Sam Mayer leading it, but only by two points over Ty Gibbs. Next down, you got a, a driver with a couple of top fives. That's Nick Sanchez at minus 13, Chase Cabre at minus 17, and Parker Retzlaff at minus 19 to cover the top five. Moving into six through 10, you have Giovanni Bramani at minus 20, Max McLaughlin, Justin S. Carroll, Mason Diaz, and Derek Griffin. Now there, Derek Griffin in 10th only has one race. He's 47 back. Mason Diaz minus 35. So they're the top nine in two races, only separated by 35 points. Okay, and I know Derek Griffith, I believe I saw that he's entered this weekend for the Arkham Menard Series. So we'll, we'll be able to kind of see him race. He had a really good first showing uh, getting a top five in his very first race. He missed the second race, and now we're going to see him in the Arkham Menard Series. So I can't wait to see what he does out of Kentucky uh, this weekend. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, let's go ahead. <clears throat> we have a couple of minutes here, Jay. Uh, do we have the information from our uh, Fan for Racing Fantasy group and how uh, that is playing out for this weekend? You know, and I, I got in a little bit of a panic there because I forgot that the first Xfinity race is tonight, but I just talked to James, so uh, I'll have oh, to get okay, with Sam thanks. yet. He'll have final pick. So far, everybody is picking the same driver for both races, and Sharon, you got to go first, which kind of an advantage here. Hopefully it plays out with you, taking Chase Briscoe, obviously right now one of the top drivers on the circuit, both races. Andy followed that up with uh, Austin Sindrick. That left Mike to take Harrison Burton, normally one of your picks. I went with Noah Gregson. James is taking Ross oh, Chastain. Owen. Okay, and you forgot I'm sorry, Owen. Yep, Owen, Owen, yep, Owen, took, uh, Owen was the next one up there, took Justin Haley. And then Ross is, uh, James is taking Ross Chastain for both races. And I'll get his truck and cup picks here in a minute. Looks like he's bringing those in as well. Okay, super. So that's for the race tonight. Let's give it a couple more minutes in case we hear from a few more people here uh, on the other ones. But uh, that's that's pretty cool that everybody's taking the uh, same driver see. for both races. Yeah, we've seen that. It's a lot easier on me, trust me. Uh, when we had it where we were picking <laughs> different drivers for each race, got a little uh, hectic. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's the overall points, Jay? All right. For Xfinity, that is still Andy at 52. I'm at 42. He's gapping that one a little bit. Uh, Sam moved into third now at 36. Sharon, you're at 35. Then there's a tie at 28 uh, between James and Owen and Mike at 26. And did you want me to do all of them right now? I know we've got that little um, bit of time. 
Yeah, we've got a little bit of time. Go ahead. All right. Uh, the trucks, that one, again, a fewer races. Andy does have that one at 21. Sharon, I'm sorry, Owen leads that at 23. Andy's at 21. Sharon at 17. Then it is Sam and James that are tied at 15. I'm at 14, and Mike is at 10. On uh, the cup side, this one shifted quite a bit. Uh, I still lead at 66. However, Andy's right there at 61 now. Then Sam and Owen are tied at 42. Sharon, you're back to 48. And then James at 36 and Mike at 34. Wouldn't and that be puts the overall. Yeah, 42. <laughs> Did you say 38 or 48? 48. That would James be ahead of 46 and my... Yeah, no, Sam Sam's at 52. He's in between at this in between oh, uh gotcha. Andy and you. 52. Oh, okay. 52. I thought uh, you the said 42. Overall the overall again Andy's kind of pushing up on that. He's at 134. I'm at 122. Sam and Owen, again, they've had some good runs. They're tied at 103. Sharon, you're right at 100. And then James at 79 and Mike at 70. Yeah, I've had a string of just bad luck with my picks over the last few weeks. So I tried uh, some different picks this week, and we'll see how that goes. I know I usually all the good... switch up from your usual picks, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was not having the best of luck there. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into the Arkham Menard series at um, Kentucky Speedway because they are going to be racing this weekend at Kentucky Speedway. And uh, give me just a second here. I had it, and I think I've got it again. Okay, they're racing Saturday, July the 11th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on FS1 uh, starting at 2.30 p.m. Uh, this is a 1.5-mile oval that they're going to be racing on, uh, and a lot of these drivers are, are pretty good on the 1.5-mile tracks. Uh, they will have uh, practice at 12.15 at 1 p.m., 12.15 to 1 p.m., and then the general tire 150 starts at 2.30 p.m., as I mentioned earlier. You can follow along on arcaracing.com they'll have the live timing and scoring if you're a member there and then of course uh there's also uh the track pass i believe you can also follow this race on track pass uh as well i might be wrong about that but usually these arca races are available there as well uh let's go ahead and get started uh the only driver uh on a bigger winning run than ty gibbs is Chandler Smith, and I believe they are both entered this weekend. Uh, I know that Ty Gibbs is taking a quick peek. I'm not sure if Chandler Smith was. Uh, oh, I was thinking he was. 17 total. Yeah, I'm not seeing Chandler Smith on the entry list. Okay, Make so sure that's going to that, give. That is going to give Ty Gibbs a little bit of an advantage this weekend. It will indeed, and you're right, though. They've both been the two to beat here as of recent. Again, when it comes to the shorter tracks, Chandler Smith, uh, really tough to beat. 
Oh, and and I think the problem, he can't race on the 1.5-mile tracks yet because he's not old enough. So that's part of the reason why Chandler Smith's not entered in in these uh, 1.5-mile tracks. Same with Jesse Love. Okay, I wasn't sure if that's what what it was if that because it was a track bigger than a one point five mile. Well, I think that's certainly part of it. I I believe we asked well we didn't ask Chandler, but I know that's the case with Jesse Love and he's fifteen. Yeah, I can't I can't wait. Jan, Chandler Smith is one of those once we see him go full time, I know he's still doing spot racing for Venturini. Once he gets a full time ride what he's capable of on some of these other tracks. Right, right. Okay, so um, they they both were battling each other for the win at Lucas Oil Raceway this last weekend, uh, but uh, it was uh, Chandler Smith who uh, pulled away and was able to uh, take that win because I believe Ty Gibbs had to go to Pit Road. He had engine engine issues at the end of that race uh, that kind of made him lose his shot at winning. But he'll get another shot to kind of, uh, like we were saying, kind of take advantage of the fact that Chandler's not entered in this race, uh, and he'll be racing this weekend. And uh, he's looking for a chance. Uh, the 1.5-mile oval of the Bluegrass State will host its 25th series race since 2000, and Gibbs and company are going to be joining 2019 Cup Series champion Kyle Busch, 10-time ARCA champion Frank Kimmel, and Ricky Stenhouse Jr., along with Corey LaJoy, in making the trip to victory lane there, if he should win this weekend. So that's... uh, that's something that uh, they're really looking forward to doing. It will be, and I, I know I pulled up. Uh, oh, I guess I don't have the point standings uh, pulled up. Get to that in a minute. But this one will fall under that Sioux Chief. Uh, I'm sorry, not the Sioux Chief General Tire Super Speedway Challenge at, for points mm-hmm. as well. So that's going to be interesting as well as that one will fall under race number four for that championship. So a couple different championship battles going to go on this weekend. Yes, yes. Uh, Now, Saturday afternoon's General Tire 150 is a very full slate of racing action because there's also two NASCAR Xfinity Series races this weekend. The NASCAR Gander and RV Outdoor Truck Series uh, is after the ARCA race, and the NASCAR Cup Series race is on Sunday uh, the General Tire 150 will be live on Fox Sports 1 on July the 11th. So what should we watch for? Uh, again, uh, you were talking about uh, the big deal is uh, Ty Gibbs, but there's other drivers that are going to be in this race on Saturday as well. Well, and you have to start with the battle up top for the points, and that will be Michael Self and Haley Deegan. Obviously, both who are entered this weekend. Michael Self in the number 25 Venturini Motorsports Toyota with Sinclair Lubricants. Kevin Reed on the pit box. And then Haley Deegan with the DGR, David Gillen owned num- uh, uh, number four Ford uh, with Toter as a sponsor and Seth Smith as the crew chief. 
Okay. Uh, I think I discovered why Chandler Smith is not going to be in the um, in the ARCA race. He is actually going to be driving the number 51 for Kyle Busch Motorsports in the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series. So he's seating his number 20 seat for Venturini Motorsports driver Ryan Repco for the Kentucky race. Uh, Repco, who's 20, is from Denver, North Carolina. He finished second at the Talladega Super Speedway race, and is, that's his most recent, and is the only Venturini driver yet to visit Victory Lane this season. So you know he's going to be trying to do that in this Arkham Menard Series race. And he's one that I'm not real familiar with, so I love when I get to watch these ARCA races or at least review them uh, in the preview show when we get to talk about some of these drivers that I'm not even familiar with. So hopefully that goes to the fans as well as we get to know some of these drivers before they pop up in NASCAR's top three at the Xfinity or trucks or cup level. Right. Well, of course, we know Smith has a pair of wins. Uh, His teammates at Venturini Motorsports, Michael Self, and Drew Dollar, they each have a win apiece, and they sit first and third in the championship point standings. The only non-Venturini winner so far this season is Ty Gibbs when he won at Pocono. Gibbs also has an ARCA East win. He won at Ohio's uh, Toledo Speedway this season uh, in that series, and he has a third-place run at Phoenix Raceway in Florida's New Smyrna, Uh, Speedway. So he's raced both the East and the West, as well as the regular Arkham and Art Series. So uh, definitely looking forward again to what he does here this weekend. Most certainly. And again, right now you get those top names that we've seen, but the the other drivers that we've seen and talked about, again, Haley Deegan going to be one of them to see where they mix in. Um, We've already hit on the top three in points. That's going to bring it down to Brett Holmes and Thad Moffitt, who Brett Holmes, I know, has four top tens in his five starts, Thad Moffitt three. So those are the next ones in line, at least in the point, that you got to look at of how consistent they've been running that could get in there and mix it up with these other drivers for that victory. Wow. Uh, going back to Ty Gibbs here, uh, one neat little uh, fact of information about just how hot he's been. If you go back to last September, September 14th, at Indiana Salem Speedway, Ty Gibbs has five wins in nine starts across the Markham Menards Series, the East and the West Series. So that's two-thirds of his starts are victories. He only has two outliers and that's a pair of 15th-place finishes at Lucas Oil just last weekend because of the mechanical issues that we talked about. And then last fall, he was taken out while leading a race. So uh, it's pretty amazing stats he has there with five wins and just nine starts, Jay. It is, and we, we've seen him step up from that of, a, of the second-place finishes, so i like to see that uh, picking up those five wins now. But as you mentioned, with that, it's still two-thirds in the nine starts along with those five wins. So uh, always a top finisher and another one that this uh, this year running full-time, we're going to get to see what he's really capable of across all the tracks. Absolutely. Also, Michael Self 
has led the standings since the season, his season opening win at Daytona. He overcame a flat tire late in the race last weekend to claim his fifth straight top ten run. And he also holds a 12-point lead over Haley Deegan and is 19 points ahead of Drew Dollar. Now, most of the drivers that are entered this weekend have never run at Kentucky, and they'll have to get up to speed quickly as the condensed schedules will return to racing has limited practice time. So that's going to be uh, definitely a factor of all of this. Also, the Arkham Art Series' last race at Kentucky in 2017 when the eventual series champion Austin Ferrio took the victory over Zane Smith and Sheldon Creed. Riley Earps was seventh in the number 18 for Joe Gibbs Racing, and Ty Gibbs is going to be in that seat this weekend, and he won at Pocono. So just some other little stats there to be aware of going into this race. Well, and the one thing I look at there, again, especially when it comes to this track, and I go back to some other ones that I have in my mind of, of the Cup Series way back one, way back when, but we see some of the names that have won this race and moved up to the Xfinity and or Truck Series. So uh, fully expect that with Ty Gibbs as well down the road. Absolutely. Uh, there are, what, 17 cars on the entry list? Yes, I have. Yep, I show 17 on the uh, the entry list that I have. Okay, so that starting field will be set by the 2020 owner's points. And uh, as far as pit stop, uh, there's no adding or moving tires to or from the pit box once the race is started. A maximum of four crew members may service the car. And, again, no tires or fuel can be added out outside of the brake. Also, the general tire 150 will be 100 laps, 150 miles, and that's to be run in three segments this time. The race will have the first break at or near the conclusion of lap 30. Uh, The second break will take place at or near lap 60, and then the conclusion of the race will be the final uh, break uh, for that series. Also, the general tire super speedway challenge uh, is race four, as as, uh, Jay mentioned earlier, of that challenge, and it recognizes the car owner who accumulates the most points in those designated events. So car owners uh, really have a lot at stake in this particular race. And let's see if I can find that now. The If we want to start with the points for the Super Speedway Challenge, general, I thought I had that. I'm sorry, General Tire uh, Super Speedway Challenge. General, yeah, here, I've got it right here. <clears throat> Give me a second for it to come up. Okay, they give a recap, but let me kind of go over the points. Uh, Bill Venturini is at the top of those points for the number 15 car. He has a total of 122 points, but it's another Venturini car right behind the number 25 at 121 points, and one point behind that car is the number 18 of Ty Gibbs at 120 points. So just three points separate those top three cars and owners. So Coy Gibbs uh, is the owner for that number 18. Kathy Gibbs, the owner for 
the number 25, and Bill Venturini, the owner of the number 15. Now, then you jump down four points uh, for the number four, owned by David Gilliland, and then tied with that car is the Brett uh, Holmes uh, car, owned by Stacy Holmes, the number 23. That pretty much rounds out. Is that the top? Yeah, that's the top five. So that's where all the action is going to be, is between those five cars. And uh, those drivers in those cars are going to be doing everything they can to give their owners some advantage uh, after this race. And that is such a cool thing that I do really like here within the Arkham Nard Series, that championship within a championship. We talked about Chandler Smith in that number 20 Venturini team is the next one down at 106 points. Uh, can't run all that all the races, so they have to split that up with these super speedways, different drivers, um, but still battling for that championship. But it also allows then Chandler Smith to compete for the short track championship in the races that he does contest. So I really like that the fact that they do that. Yes, indeed. Now, the total tire allotment for these guys in this particular race is eight. So tire management is going to be something to watch in that general tire 150 at Kentucky. Now, Jay, I know there's some people we haven't mentioned yet on the entry list, if you want to kind of hit on those drivers. All right. Uh, Starting there numerically going from top to bottom, got Wayne Peterson, the machine that'll have Don Thompson in the 06 with Michael Peterson as the crew chief. Then you got the Andy Hillenberg cars. The number 10 will be Ryan Huff, Willie Mullins in the number 11, and Dick Dohaney in the number 12. And you got Kevin Cram, Tony Furr, and Mike Srelf as their respective crew chiefs there. We talked about Drew Dollar for Venturini Motorsports in the number 15. Then we get to Tanner Gray for DGR Crosley. Uh, in the number 17 Ford Performance Ford with Blake Bainridge as the crew chief. Talked a little bit, uh, or talked a lot about Ty Gibbs, a little bit there about Ryan Repco in the number 20 Venturini. And then you have Sam Mayer, uh, Gallagher GMS uh, machine, the 21 Chevy Accessories owned by Mari Gallagher. Crew chief will be Marty Lindley. Derek Griffith, we mentioned, he'll be in the number 22, Chad Bryant Ford, with Paul Andrews as a crew chief. I think, uh, let's see, we talked about Brett Holmes, Michael Self, Thad Moffitt for Bola Mastis, uh, Ford, part of the DGR Crowsley group with, the Derek, with Derek Smith as the crew chief. And then you have Brad Smith in the self-owned Chevrolet for bradsmithmotorsports.com with Jeff Smith. And the final two we got on here, the number 69, that'll be Scott Melton driving for Bill Kimmel with him, Bill Kimmel as the crew chief as well for the number 69 Toyota. And the 97 owned by Cody Robaugh will be Jason Kitzmiller with Doug George as the crew chief. Okay. Now, Jay mentioned that there's some uh, current NASCAR stars that have won this ARCA race at in the, at uh, Kentucky before, and I'll just mention a few of them. We mentioned Austin Theriot won last year. Austin Sendrick, Ryan Reed, Brendan Poole, Corey LaJoy, Parker Kligerman, 
Uh, a lot of people remember James Busher when he was racing, Scott Speed when he was racing in NASCAR, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Michael McDowell. Uh, those were probably oh, Kyle Busch won it going all the way back to the 2003 season to 2006. Uh, and Frank Kimmel, another big name in the Arkham Menard series. Ryan Newman won in 2000. So, um, yeah, some big names have won this race that are currently racing in NASCAR or big names within the Arkham Menard series itself. <clears throat> Certainly a lot of history oh. there. And, it, you know, <clears throat> as as we go through it, I know we're wrapping up here for the Arkham Menard series, but that just lets you know what this series is to the NASCAR top three series, these drivers that come through here in their developmental stages. Absolutely. Uh, Okay, we're going to move on now to the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series. They are racing this weekend for the Buckle Up in Your Truck 225 at Kentucky Speedway. That race is also on Saturday, and they will be racing at 6 p.m. Eastern time. So, again, that's after the ARCA race. Look for that truck series race. Uh, They will be televised on Fox Sports 1, the same channel that you're watching the ARCA Menard series. Uh, Radio coverage is also on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll be racing a distance of 225 miles over 150 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 35, stage 2 on lap 70, and, of course, the last stage ends on the last lap. Last year's winner of this race was Tyler Ankrum, and I know he's, I'm pretty sure he's going to be entered this weekend as well. Well, to give you, okay, i got three different notes here. I'll hit all three for some notes for the NASCAR Gand RV and Outdoor Truck Series as we hit Kentucky. The Wounded Blue is going to partner with Angela Rock. It's America's only national organization dedicated to assisting officers injured in the line of duty. They announced that they will partner with Angela Rock at Kentucky Speedway. Donations to the Wounded Blue help fund the organization's Code 4 wellness program, including medical appointments, COVID-19 testing, PTSD, and more. Long Motorsports also has a new sponsor, as American Mask and Sanitizer is partnering with them and Dawson Cram beginning this weekend at Kentucky Speedway. American Mask and Sanitizer specializes in medical supplies. They'll also be on board the number 55 truck at Texas and Kansas Speedways. Last note here, we kind of touched on this. Uh, The first one for Smith after turning 18 last month Chandler Smith will now make his first Gander RV truck start on a mile and a half oval. In limited Gander truck starts last season, Smith's impressive results include a runner-up finish at Bristol Motor Speedway. In three Arca Menard starts this season, Smith has two wins at Phoenix Raceway in March and Lucas Oil Raceway in Indianapolis last weekend. Okay, next up is our Sunoku. Sunoco rookie standings update. Uh, Christian Eckes still leads the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series up, uh, rookies with 179 points after Pocono Raceway. Zane Smith currently holds that second-place spot at 177 points, just two points behind, followed by Derek Krause 
with 159 points, and Tanner Gray with 142 points. Raphael Assard sits at 119, Ty Majewski five points behind at 114, and Spencer Davis with 86, and Tate Fogelman with 70. So every rookie except for Davis is making their Kentucky Speedway debut with the trucks this weekend. Davis ran at Kentucky last season and finished in eighth place. So this could be a really good breakout uh, race for uh, for uh, Spencer Davis. Most certainly uh, could be. And when we take an eye on the playoff look following Pocono Raceway, the RV, Yander RV and Outdoor Truck Series now has six races in the books, and the playoff picture is really coming into focus. Grant Anfinger's two wins still have him atop the playoff standings as he is the only driver locked in on wins, leaving nine spots up for grabs on points. Among the nine vying for this playoff spot on points, the series driver series driver standings leader and Hattori Racing Enterprises driver Austin Hill has the most comfortable points cushion heading into the weekend break with 94 points on the postseason cutoff. Right behind is Hill is Ben Rhodes with Thor Sport Racing, who is 43 points up. Rhodes' Pocono performance put him up a spot in the standings. Sheldon Creed made the biggest jump going from ninth in the outlook to fourth with his two-stage wins and third-place finish at Pocono. Christian Eckes is the highest-ranked rookie, as Sharon mentioned. He's right now in sixth, but fellow rookie Zane Smith is sitting only two points behind him in seventh. Then down the playoff bubble, hot seats veteran, uh, sits veteran and former series champion Johnny Sauter in tenth, just nine points ahead of 11th place Derek Krause. And reigning NASCAR Gander and RV Outdoor Truck Series champion Matt Crafton is sitting all the way down in 14th in the standings, 31 points behind Sauter in 10th. A couple drivers we didn't talk about in between there. Fifth place sits Todd Gillen at 187, Christian Eckes at 179. So they are 11 and 19 points up, respectively. And then in between Zane Smith in seventh, eighth, and ninth, there you find Tyler Ankrum, who is only, excuse me, six points up, and Brett Moffitt, who's two points up above Johnny Sauter. And then the other one I think we got to hit here, Stuart Friesen. He's in 12th. He's behind Derek Krause at 148, so he's 20 points out. And Tanner Gray at 142, 26 points out. And then we mentioned Matt Crafton. So I think there's some drivers there that are going to move into that top 10 based on previous history, but they got to get by these other drivers. Okay. And it's important to note, I don't know, uh, they don't have uh, Christian listed as a rookie here, but uh, uh, he's obviously the highest finishing rookie. But there's another rookie in 11th place, uh, which is really good uh, for all the rookies that are on this list and their chance of uh, being in the playoffs this year. We do certainly do have some strong rookie contenders there, yes. Okay. Uh, ben Rhodes is looking forward to this weekend because he can also look forward to some home cooking. 
He just made his 100th career Gander Truck Series start at Atlanta Motor Speedway, and this weekend he's making his 103rd career start at his home track of Kentucky Speedway. Rhodes is from Louisville, Kentucky, and not only has the connection to Kentucky for growing up just outside the track's location, but it's also the place where he got his second career win. In 2018, Rhodes started third at Kentucky and won that race. His first career win was in 2017 at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, another 1.5-mile track. Now, Rhodes has quietly moved his way up to second in the series point standings this season. Right now, he's 51 points behind the leader, Austin Hill. Although he doesn't have a win so far this season, he does have two top fives and four top tens. He's also ranked third in the playoff standings. So, even if he's sitting uh, in front of his store sport racing teammate, Grant Infinger, in the point standings without a win, Rhodes does have four starts at Kentucky with one win and one top five and one top ten. He's led 43 laps, and he has an average start of 6.2 with an average finish of 15. So he's had a little bit of mixed results there, but I am really counting on Ben Rhodes this weekend to have a good run at his hometown track. Well, he has certainly showed it there in the past, as you mentioned, Give you a little bit of a preview here just for the track as a whole for the buckle up for the Gander RV trucks at Kentucky. They're returning this weekend for a Saturday night showdown under the lights. Again, it'll take place Saturday night. Uh, Sharon mentioned Tyler Ankrum, the defending race winner, and this weekend will mark the series' 23rd race at the track. The 1.5-mile Sparta, Kentucky track has 17 degrees of banking in the corners in turns one and two, and 14 in the corners of three and four. There's eight degrees of banking on the front stretch and four on the back stretch, the front stretch being a little bit longer at 1,662 feet, while the back stretch is 1,600 feet even. The inaugural event, Gander Truck Series event at Kentucky, was won by Greg Biffle on June 17th back in 2000. And Noah Gregson holds the qualifying record for the track and from 2018 at 183.955 miles per hour. Ben Rhodes holding the race record also from that July 2018 race at 146.739. Some overall stats, Ron, Ron Hornaday Jr. has the most wins with three. Austin Dillon holds the most poles at two. And Matt Crafton has the most top fives with six, as well as top tens at 15. The most lead changes at the track was in 2011 with 18, while the fewest was in 2013 with five. Only three of the 22 races have been won from the pole, and Kyle Busch has the most wins as a truck owner, a truck team owner, with four. The greatest margin, or the closest margin of victory for the Gander Trucks at Kentucky was in 2009 at .0135 seconds, and the greatest margin of victory in 2002, and it doesn't give me the number there, left out the number. Um, oh, it's 18.197. Okay, thank you. I knew we had that last week. Uh, this weekend will be the seventh race of the season for the Truck Series. 
Grant Enfiger being that only full-time driver in the series to have a win so far this season as he picked up wins in Daytona and Atlanta. The other races were were won by drivers that were full-time in other series. Most recently, Xfinity Series regular Brandon Jones got his first Gander Trucks career win at Pocono Raceway. So far on the year, Toyota has three of the wins, Ford with two, and Chevrolet one. And I think Sharon went over the uh, total race there. Yeah. Stage one will be ending on lap 35, stage two on 70 of the total 150 laps. Okay. Now, I do have some news audio uh, here from uh, one of the Truck Series drivers, and we mentioned him earlier. Normally, he races in the Arkham Menard Series. He's racing this weekend in the number 51 for Kyle Busch Motorsports Toyota, and that is Chandler Smith. The audio is 17, almost 18 minutes long. We won't be able to listen to all of it, but we can certainly listen to at least about five Five to ten minutes, maybe not quite ten minutes. So let's go ahead and hear what Chandler Smith has to say as he heads into this truck series race this weekend at Kentucky Speedway. I'll kick it off with a question to you, Chandler, before I toss it out to the rest of the world. Uh, talk about being on an intermediate track this weekend, heading to Kentucky for KBM. Uh, any pressure, and how excited are you? I'm, I'm, first off, I'm really excited and really blessed to the opportunity that I'm having from JBL and Toyota overall. I'm very humbled that I'm going to be able to make my first truck series start of the season. It was part, supposed to be in Richmond, and obviously with everything that happened in the world, that kind of fell through for now. So, But overall, I'm really excited. I've got a good bit of sim time in with my new crew chief, Danny Stockman. We've done a lot of studying together, and uh, the whole team feels like we're going to go there. We're going to be really hard to beat, even though it's my first time on intermediate. Awesome. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, Alan Cavana, we will uh, start with you. Hey, Chandler, can you hear me? Yes, sir. What's going on, bud? What's up, dude? Um, let's talk racing first. Uh, there's certainly a lot of expectations or a lot of hype around the young Chandler Smith, but what what expectations do you have for your first mile-and-a-half race? Are you looking to win? I mean, what, what are you happy with? 100%. So uh, my 51 JBL crew has won already three, three races this season, so I don't see any problem with making a fourth win for these guys. They're a great team. Danny's a very good crew chief. The chemistry and everybody between me and the team is just as good as it was last year when I was with the 51. So uh, I think we're going to be really solid. I think we'll be tough to beat, but I think the ultimate goal, honestly, is I'm a rookie. Let's get an all 150 laps in and get an experience. What is the biggest challenge as a rookie for someone who won't get any testing, who won't get any qualifying laps, uh, who's only had sim time? How do you describe that as a driver? Honestly, I'm not as nervous about it as I was before yesterday. So I had a meeting yesterday with Danny, my engineer, and I told him, I said, listen, I think I'm going to be fine. The only thing I'm going to worry about is air. I need to find, I've been struggling a lot on these bigger tracks with racing around people and getting in dirty air, then getting too tight, so on and so forth. So they kind of helped me there a good bit and described a little more and kind of helped me with situations and planning out stuff. And I think we'll be really, really good now. So I think um, overall, them guys helped me a lot. Okay. And finally, it's been a while since I've been 18. So how does a new 18-year-old celebrate, you know, in the times of COVID-19? What, what do you do for a party? Uh, hang around, chill out with a girlfriend <laughs> a little bit, and drink a Mountain Dew here and there. I don't know. 
That's good. And then just in terms of being 18, I mean, this, this opens up the racing world to you even more. I mean, do you see how, how significant that can be for you? Oh, 100%. This opens up running for championships potentially now and actually being able to run every single racetrack. That's big for me because anything I've ever done before was short track, half mile, mile at top. Like I ran Iowa last year, for instance. So this is going to be big for me. I'm really excited for it, though. Thank you. Good luck this weekend. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, thanks, Alan. Uh, Jacob, we'll go to you next. All right. Chandler, uh, first off, uh, happy belated birthday. Um, I know you haven't had a mile-and-a-half start yet, but you have had a couple of ARCA starts at Pocono at the very least to have a little bit of an idea from a big track or aero standpoint. Do you feel like any of that experience helps you, or because the trucks aerodynamically are so much different, does it kind of make this a little bit different ballgame? No matter what, experience is always going to help in the long run. So anything I could get my hands on as far as big racetracks, a lot of speed, it's all going to help at the end of the day. So trucks are a lot more embraceive, in my opinion, with the air running around people. It's a lot more aero-dependent than a car is. So I don't think it's going to be as let me rephrase that. It's going to be just as bad as it was in a car. So I think anything I ever did in ARCA is definitely going to help. But all my truck series experiences last year, heck, even Bristol, for instance, when I was racing with Brett Moffat for the win last year, when I was underneath him on that final restart, um, he was riding right on my door. And no, you couldn't really tell on TV, but I was loose all the way through three just because I got all the air taken out from under me. Not very many people have seen that, but that's what was going on. And I was loose all the way until I got to the wall and we took the white flag, I believe. So, all the experience, even on short tracks and stuff, the air matters a lot in the truck for big time. So I'm really excited about it, though. I feel like I've done a lot better as far as studying, trying to get better, asking questions, getting a little more spend time. So. Alan? Okay, we'll go ahead and end it there. Uh, he had some really good comments uh, going into that race, Jay. Well, you know me, I got distracted by him saying that he was sitting around drinking Mountain Dew, but... No, he he did. Uh, I I like the fact that he said he was a little bit nervous, and then uh, even just sitting down with his crew and talking through it, you know that that that's able to help him uh, focus on that and and kind of get beyond that. So it'll be interesting to see how he does in his first start. But I like the fact the first question they said, you know, are you looking for a win? Well, heck yeah, you're looking for a win. But he did say realistically, <laughs> 150 laps of experience would be the the ultimate uh, goal as far as getting that experience um, and going Absolutely. from there. But he knows what team he's with. So a win isn't out of the question ever. Exactly, exactly. He'll definitely be one to watch. Now, Jay, we've got a couple minutes here. Uh, do we have any other – do you have your truck series picks? Uh, I do. Uh, let's see. We We picked up two more of them. Let's see, starting okay. here. Uh, I I had to kick off the truck series, and I mentioned it. I went with uh, Stuart Friesen. I think he's due to make his move into the points. Mike took Johnny Sauter to follow that. Sharon mentioned she's back in Ben Rhodes this weekend. And James picked Brett Moffitt, and Andy followed that with Austin Hill. Uh, so we got to wait on Owen, which I know you'll probably message after the show here, and then Sam to uh to wrap it up. Okay. 
Okay, so that uh, looked pretty good. We did not give our ARCA picks. Do you have a, a favorite for the ARCA series, who you think will win? Right now I'd have to ride, ride that wave of momentum and, and say Ty Gibbs, but uh, Haley Deegan's one that I, I want to keep my eye on. Is she has shown some uh, some great skill there in these mile and a half, at least running in the top five. So uh, that would be kind of a backup pick. But I think right now you got to ride that momentum of Ty Gibbs. Okay. And I would go with Ty Gibbs as well, but my backup driver there I'm going to go with uh, Michael Self because I know he is excellent on 1.5-mile tracks as well. So we'll see what happens this weekend at uh, Kentucky Speedway. Now, we're going to go into the Xfinity Series. They have a doubleheader this weekend, Jay, at uh, Kentucky, and uh, their first race is going to be tonight. We mentioned that already. Uh, they're racing the Shady Race 200 uh, at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Fox Sports 1 is actually going to start their pre-race coverage at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Radio coverage is on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Now, they'll be racing a distance of 201 miles, 134 laps. Uh, stage 1 is going to end on lap 30, stage 2 on lap 60, and the last stage ends on the last lap. Their second race of the weekend will take place. Uh, it's going to be the Alscos 300 at Kentucky on Friday, July the 10th. That starts at 8 p.m. Eastern time with pre-race coverage starting at 7.30 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. Radio coverage is on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 300 miles, over 200 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 45, stage 2 at lap 90, and the last stage, of course, is on the last lap. They don't have a previous winner listed here uh, because I think this is kind of an unusual time of year for them to be racing at uh, Kentucky. So we'll go ahead and get started with the other information. All right. Well, all in on Allgaier. Now, Justin Allgaier hasn't seemed to be able to catch a break so far this season. Driver of the number seven junior motorsport Chevrolet has been pushing to get out of a streak of bad luck, but unfortunately, it didn't happen last weekend at Indianapolis. Allgaier, who has been running up front in majority of the 13 races so far this season, has been involved in multiple crashes, pit road penalties, and a few cases of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was, however, able, able to rally for a decent track position before the final lap of the race. It still has two top fives, six top ten, and an average start of 9.5, leading 319 laps so far this season as well. Now, he heads to Kentucky, this, Kentucky Speedway this weekend as one of the veterans. He has 13 starts at the 1.5-mile track, with four top fives, nine top tens, and 62 laps led. Algar hasn't finished outside the top ten at Kentucky in the last five races and is the best finish of fourth from 2018. His average start on the track is 7.2, with an average finish of 10.5. Now, with two chances to get it done this weekend, 
could be the weekend Algar turns his season around. Although he's sitting fourth in the point standings, the only way he knows he's in the playoffs for sure is to pick up a victory. He did have a big weekend at Indianapolis Motor Speedway as he also filled in for the seven-time champion Jimmy Johnson on Sunday for the Brickyard 400. Remember, Johnson tested positive for the COVID-19 and was unable to race, and Chevrolet, along with Hendrick Motorsports, announced that Algar had been on standby and would be filling in for the number 48. Unfortunately, his luck didn't go any better on Sunday as Algar was involved in a pit in a wreck on pit road that put him out of the race early. But he is definitely in the hunt for redemption this weekend. Okay. Uh, next up, we're going to look at the series point standings. Um, let's see here. Oops, I, hold on. <laughs> I just lost my footing here. Okay, yeah. Okay, the series point standings. Chase Briscoe has back-to-back wins at Pocono Raceway and Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the road course. He has kept him at the top of the playoff standings with his fifth win of the season. He's now sitting 21 points ahead of second-place Noah Gregson in the standings and has 13 more playoff points, 28, than his nearest competitor. So Ross Chastain is still holding on to the third spot in the standings and is the highest-ranked driver in the standings without a win so far this season. Austin Sindrick's performance at Indianapolis pushed him back up to fourth in the point standings. He's now 61 points back from the leader. Brandon Jones dropped to eighth in the series point standings but is already locked into the playoffs with a win this season. So he's the lowest-ranked driver with a win on the season. Harrison Burton dropped significantly in the standings after Indianapolis. He's now in seventh place, but he is still the highest-ranked rookie. Riley Erbst, another Sunoco Rookie of the Year contender, is sitting in 11th. Brandon Brown jumped up one spot, and right now he's holding on to that last playoff slot. Uh, Myatt Snyder has dropped to 13th but is only six points below Brown in 12th place. Now, junior motorsports driver Noah Gregson currently has the best driver rating in the Xfinity Series at 112, and Briscoe is right behind him in second at 109.6. And Sindrick has the third best rating at 105.9. Burton has the best driver rating of the rookies. He sits in sixth at 97.4. Chevrolet is currently dominating the Xfinity Series points. They have six drivers in the top ten. Ford only has two drivers in the series. Excuse me, and both of them are in the top ten. Toyota has two of the top ten, and Harrison Burton is the only rookie in that top ten ranking. Now, looking at the playoff points, uh, some of the drivers... that we may not have mentioned, and I apologize for this frog in my throat today. I don't know where that's coming from. I I can only guess it's allergies. Uh, But Justin Haley is fourth in the series point standings uh, behind Harrison Burton, Noah Gregson, and Chase Briscoe, and Brandon Jones is behind him. They are in fifth. They are all in on wins. Ross Chastain, Austin Sindrick, Justin Algauer, Michael Lynette, 
Ryan Sieg and Riley Erbst, followed by Brandon Brown, are in 6th through 12th positions. They are in on points. Those drivers below the points uh, cutoff is Matt Snyder. Uh, He's six points out. Alex LeBay in 14th at 26 points out. And Jeremy Clements at 43 points out. We mentioned uh, the driver ratings uh, ranking. Uh, Stuart Haas Racing has that at 556 points, followed by Junior Motorsports. 535 points, then Joe Gibbs Racing, 421, Colleg Racing at 451, I can't figure out why 451 is high, lower than 421, maybe that should be the other way around, I'm not sure, and then Joe Gibbs Racing at 383, so that's the top five in those owners' points, um, and there'll be a lot riding on the line, because you've got Three drivers that are on the bubble there, uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, number third. Uh, let's see, I'm not sure which car it is. They don't tell you which car it is. But uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, Brandon Belt Motorsports, and Hour Motorsports are below that cutoff line when uh, you've got some other drivers just above that line that are going to be racing hard to stay there. So uh, keep your eye on that this weekend. Well, it certainly is a big weekend. Like you mentioned, these doubleheaders uh, put a lot on them um, for a weekend. Uh, right now, though, you got to look at, we talked about in the other series, who the driver to beat is. In this one, it is Chase Briscoe, as he has been dominating this Xfinity series. It is very clear that Chase Briscoe seems to be the driver to beat week in and week out. With five wins and 13 starts, Briscoe has the most wins of any other driver in this series. As they head to Kentucky Speedway, take a look at Briscoe's stats on the track, show that this could be another strong showing for the driver of the number 98, Stuart Haas Racing Ford. Last season, when it was first started the track for the Xfinity Series, where he started ninth and finished fifth, leading 14 laps. And with momentum on his side after having won the last two races, both at Pocono and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course, and be making Kentucky his third win in a row uh, doesn't seem too far off of the possibility. Now, early in the season, Briscoe mentioned his goal of winning eight races, eight races this season to prove himself, and with five wins already to his name, he's well within reaching uh, that goal that he has set for himself. We all thought it was a little excessive when he made that statement, but he is certainly backing <laughs> it up on the track. He certainly is. Now, looking back at Indianapolis Motor Speedway in their first race on the road course and the top five results, Chase Briscoe was the winner. Justin Haley came in second. Noah Gregson third. A.J. Allmendinger finished fourth with Austin Sindrick in fifth. Now, um, this is going to be the 26th Xfinity Series race at Kentucky Motor Speedway or Kentucky Speedway this weekend. Uh, They had their inaugural race there in June 16th of 2001, and it was won by Kevin Harvick in a Chevrolet. Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, and Kyle Busch hold the record for the most wins at Kentucky with three. Austin Dillon and Logano have the record for the most poles. They also have three. And Busch has the most top fives with nine. 
Keselowski, Bush, Elliott Sadler, and Justin Algauer had the most top tens at nine, and Chevrolet has the most wins by a manufacturer with ten. Now, last season's race was they had the fewest who finished on the lead lap with five, and eight of 25 races run at Kentucky have been won from the pole. Joe Gibbs is the winningest car owner with six wins. Kyle Busch owns the qualifying record at the track from July 8, 2016, at 187.318 miles per hour. Tyler Reddick holds the race record from September 3rd of 2017 at 151.728 miles per hour. Now, the track, 1.5 miles in length, with 17 degrees of banking in turns 1 and 2 and 14 degrees of banking in turns 3 and 4. Now, the front stretch has 8 degrees of banking, while the back stretch has just 4 degrees of banking. The front stretch is one. 1,662 feet with the back stretch at 1,600 feet even. So a little bit of stats there with regard to the track itself and some of the records that have, are held there. Certainly going to be interesting, especially with the back-to-back uh, races there. Uh, we saw this with the uh, Cup Series of who can improve from day one to day two, who maintains if they had a good run the first race. Uh, so it's going to be interesting and put a lot on these Xfinity teams. Okay. Okay, so now what we're going to do, I do have some post-race or pre-race audio here. I don't have anything from an Xfinity Series driver, but I do have some audio here from uh, Chip Wiley, who is the Speedway's president. And let's hear maybe a few minutes uh, of what he has to say about uh, the racing at Daytona this weekend. Yeah, well, we're, we're really excited that we're uh, getting an opportunity to run the road course earlier than what we originally expected. You know, we announced uh, in February that we will be utilizing uh, our famed infield road course for the uh, Bush Clash in 2021. So we were prepping for that, and then uh, the opportunity – arose for us to be able to uh, to host another event in 2020 uh, and that event obviously will be uh, hosted on our on our road course starting on Friday night with uh, with the Arca series Arc Menard series and, and then certainly Saturday with uh, uh, the Xfinity series on track and Sunday double header uh, the, the truck series and the NASCAR Cup series both will see action on our 3.56 mile road course so you know, it's, uh, it's it's been an exciting uh, couple of weeks here. Last week we hosted uh, the IMSA uh, WeatherTech Championship as they return to action this season with the uh, WeatherTech 240 exciting race under the lights last Saturday night, July 4th. So that was a, a, a great precursor to what we're going to expect uh, next month uh, with not only uh, the, the road course race but also the, the Coca-Cola Sugar 400 that will – set the field for uh, the 2020 playoffs. Okay. That's just a couple minutes there, uh, just a little over a minute there of what Chip Wiley had to say about the new schedule that came out. And they are going to, I mistakenly said this weekend, but they're actually racing in August, mid-August, on the road course at Daytona International Speedway. So uh, that was uh, kind of interesting news that came out with that 2020 schedule, Jay. And I know we'll talk more about that 
during the uh, Hot Topic Sound Off that will start here at the top of the hour. Or actually, yeah, at the top of the hour. It's certainly going to be interesting, and I know you and I talked about it already on Monday night um, to get Andy and Mike's perspective on that um, and what the possibility of that is moving forward into the future. And I had forgotten that they had said they were going to do it for the Bush Clash to start next year anyway. Again, an opportunity to try something new. It's a non-points event like we've talked about, things like that. You want to try in a non-points event like the All-Star Race. Now they have to do it for points due to circumstances, but these are the top drivers for a reason, so I think they will be all right. Definitely going to be interesting, though. Yes, it is, and uh, we do have that posted at FanForRacing.com if people would like to take a look at what that schedule looks like. It completes out the schedule through August uh, and all the way through to the finales. Uh, for the NASCAR Cup Series. So uh, definitely uh, looking forward to more information coming out as we head into September. Uh, But that takes us uh, for the – we have the schedule now for the remainder of July and all of August. So uh, if fans want to check that out, uh, again, that is posted at fanforacing.com. Okay, Jay, now uh, I know we already gave the Xfinity Series picks uh, in case someone wasn't listening when we gave them during the ARCA preview, uh, let's go ahead and go over those again. All right. Well, to kick us off, uh, we talked about Chase Briscoe being the driver to beat. Sharon said she had a little bit of rough, uh, rough week there, so she got to go first, picking Chase Briscoe for both races. Andy followed that up with Austin Sindrick and – for these races, so far, everybody's taken the same driver in every race. So Mike went with Harrison Burton, which gave me Noah Gregson, who I was okay with. And Owen, oh, actually, I skipped Owen again. How about that? Replay, I skipped Owen again. Uh, Owen took Justin Haley first. Then I got to take uh, Noah Gregson. James, just a, a, maybe a half hour or so, picked uh, Ross Chastain, taking him for both races. And I'm waiting word, uh, Sam came off the victory with Chase Briscoe last weekend, so he had to go last, waiting to see who he picks. Um, But we've certainly given him some drivers to think about here as we went through this information. Justin Algar is still available. And I think, too, Mm -hmm. that we got to keep our eye on come from Joe Gibbs Racing. Brandon Jones, who already has a victory this year, as well as Riley Herbs. Oh, yeah. Riley is one of those rookies that, I think as this season continues to progress, he's only going to get better and better. Uh, But Justin Algauer, you can never count out Justin Algauer. He's always good on the 1.5-mile tracks, and I look for him to be good this weekend as well. Uh, All right. I know we got seven people playing this year. Uh, Still uh, still some great picks there to, uh, to take, even when you have to pick last. (laughs) <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, and I think we're past the point of the Cup Series guys being in these races. So uh, it kind of makes it kind of fun because we're just watching these Xfinity guys uh, kind of duking it out. And there's so much talent this year. 
uh, on the track that they've really had some exciting racing. Uh, it couldn't have been any better than it was for the first road course race at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, NASCAR has to be happy with that finish. Almost oh, certainly. You couldn't ask for a better finish to an inaugural event, no doubt. Okay. So we are a little bit ahead of schedule here. I'm going to go ahead and get into the NASCAR Cup Series. Uh, they are racing at our Kentucky Speedway this weekend. Uh, they'll be racing Sunday uh, in the Quaker State 400 presented by Walmart. Uh, that's Sunday, July the 12th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Fox Sports 1 will carry pre-race coverage starting at 2 p.m. And radio coverage will be on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Now, they'll be racing a distance of 400.5 miles over 267 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 80, stage 2 on lap 160, and the last stage ends on the last lap, lap 267. Last year's winner of this race was Kurt Busch. He might be somebody that we've overlooked. You know, I just pulled that up as the first segment for me to talk about, and I had kind of had that same thought in my mind. Uh, you're right. He's looking to defend last season's win. And heading into Kentucky Speedway last season, Kurt Busch was still working out the kinks with his new team at Chip Ganassi Racing and was riding a 30-race winless streak that dated back to Bristol of 2018. But all that changed when he grabbed the lead in overtime and took the win. Now, the Las Vegas native returns looking to defend that Kentucky win from last season and snap an even longer winless streak at 33 races. Bush is currently 11th in points, four points behind his, his brother Kyle in 10th. In 16 starts this season, Kurt Bush has collected three top fives, nine top tens, and a pole position. Bush's win last season was not only his first victory, victory for Chip Ganassi Racing at Kentucky Speedway, but also the first for Chevrolet. In nine starts at Kentucky, Bush has put up that one win in 2019, two top fives, and six top tens. All right. Uh, we're also going to look here at Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson is coming back to racing uh, Hendrick Motorsports driver and seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion. Jimmy Johnson is returning to competition this weekend at Kentucky Speedway after being sidelined last weekend after testing positive for COVID-19. Per NASCAR's rule, a competitor that tests positive for COVID-19 must be able to provide two negative tests 24 hours apart from each other to, in order to be granted access to return to racing. It was announced on Wednesday morning that Johnson medic, was medically cleared to return to NASCAR competition. He's also been granted a playoff-eligible waiver. Now, Johnson is currently 15th in the NASCAR Cup Series driver standings. He's 34 point, I'm sorry, he's 30 points up on 16th place Austin Dillon, and he is uh, 36 points up on Eric Jones in 17th, the first spot outside of the play cutoff, playoff cutoff. So that one race did not hurt him all that bad. He's still 15th in those driver standings. Kentucky Speedway is one of just four tracks, the Charlotte, Charlotte Roval, Chicago, and Watkins Glen on the series schedule that Johnson has yet to win at. Now, he made nine starts at Kentucky, posting one pole, 
one top five, and five top ten finishes. He's finished 30th in this event just last season. Now, wouldn't it be kind of ironic to see him break a winless streak at a track he hasn't won at ever? (laughs) Yeah, that would be uh, kind of interesting, but uh, kind of a cool pick to take in case he does do that. Now, in order for him to get that victory, though, he's going to go have to go through a couple of teams that have found success at Kentucky, and that's Team Penske as well as Joe Gibbs Racing. Of the nine NASCAR Cup Series races held at Kentucky Speedway, majority of them at six have been won by two organizations. Team Penske has three as well as Joe Gibbs Racing with three. And this weekend, both organizations will look to get their fourth victory at the 1.5-mile track and take that series lead in owner wins at the facility. Look at Joe Gibbs Racing's first. Their three wins begin with the inaugural event in 2011 when Kyle Busch started from the first position due to qualifying being canceled and then won the race. In 2013, it was veteran Matt Kenseth that brought JGR their second victory from Kentucky, and then Busch again visited victory lane in 2015. All four of Joe Gibbs Racing drivers have run well at Kentucky in the past. In nine starts, Bush has amassed two wins, seven top fives and eight top tens. Martin Truex Jr. also made nine starts, posting two wins in 2017 and 18 with Furniture Row Racing, a a subsidiary of JGR. He's got two top fives and five top tens. Denny Hamlin, also with nine starts, has put up four top fives, an average finish of 14.8. Now, Eric Jones has only made three starts at Kentucky, posting one top five and three top tens. He also ha- he also has the series' second-best average finish at 5.3, only behind teammate Kyle Busch. Now, in last season's race, Busch finished runner-up, Jones was third, Hamlin was fifth, and Truex 19th. Penske side of it, their three wins at Kentucky have all come from Brad Keselowski, who leads the series in victories at the track with the three at 2011, 14, and 16. In total, Keselowski has made all nine starts at Kentucky, posting the one pole, three wins, four top fives, and six top tens, with an average finish of 12.3. Now, though Keselowski's teammates Joey Logano and Ryan Blaney have yet to win at Kentucky in the NASCAR Cup Series, they have found success on the track in the Xfinity Series, with Logano winning three times there and Blaney taking home the checkered flag twice. In the Cup Series, Logano has made nine starts, posting two top fives and six top tens, while Blaney has only made four series starts, posting one top five and two top tens. In last season's race, Team Penske's drivers finished 7th, 13th, and 20th. Logano Logano 7th, Blaney 13th, and Keselowski 20th. So there's two organizations you got to look at when taking any kind of uh, look at who to pick. Yes, indeed. Now, Kyle Busch is hoping for a snap to his 2020 winless streak this weekend. It's so incredible that the defending NASCAR Cup Series champion, Kyle Busch, is still winless through the first 16 races of 2020. Who would have ever predicted that? Kyle Busch has won at least one race per season since competing full-time in the NASCAR Cup Series, and that dates back to 2005. This season, the Las Vegas native 
Bush is 10th in the series driver standings, having posted seven top fives and nine top tens, including three runner-up finishes. But Bush has been so good at Kentucky Speedway this weekend. This weekend could be when he gets that first checkered flag of the year. In nine starts at Kentucky, he's posted two wins. He has seven top fives and eight top tens. He finished runner-up to his brother Kurt in this event just last season. And to boot, he leads the series in average finish at Kentucky. He has an impressive 4.7 average finish at that track. I might have to change my pick. (laughs) It seems like you say that every week. (laughs) I do. (laughs) Okay, Jim. All right, well. Looking up at uh, rebounding after Indy, that would be Denny Hamlin. Uh, Joe Gibbs Racing's Denny Hamlin is looking to rebound this weekend after leading late in the race last Sunday at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, only to lose the lead with a late race tire trouble that sent his number 11 Toyota into the turn one wall. Hamlin is now fifth in the Cup Series driver standings, 109 points behind Harvick, who has the standings lead, despite being tied with him for the series' most wins this season while they each have four. But this season, Hamlin and crew chief Chris Gabart have been clicking on all cylinders. In 16 starts, they've produced four wins, four stage wins, nine top fives, and ten top tens. His average finish on the season is 10.2, and he leads the series in playoff points. In Kentucky, it has been pretty good to Hamlin in the past, as we talked about. Nine starts, the 1.5-mile facility, four top fives, and an average finish of 14.9. So fully expect him to be back running up there, along with the next guy Sharon's going to talk about. Yes, and he happens to be my pick for this weekend. Stuart House Racing's Kevin Harvick is off to a super song start of 2020. Not only does he have uh, the veteran lead in the NASCAR Cup Series standings by 85 points over second-place driver Chase Elliott, but he also is now tied with Denny Hamlin for the series' most wins this year with four victories each. Now, Harvick has held the top spot in the points since Phoenix, and that dates back to March. Harvick's four wins this season are just the tip of his dominance for this year. He has also collected 22 playoff points. He's put up two stage wins, the series' most top fives with nine, and top tens with 13. Plus, he's led the series' most laps this season at 640 laps led. That's 14.81% of the laps completed. Kentucky Speedway and the Charlotte Roval are the only two tracks on the active schedule that Harvick has yet to win at. In nine starts at Kentucky, he has posted one top five. He has six top tens and an average finish of 10.8. He finished 22nd in this race last season. So that uh, is one of the reasons why I might change my pick. But on the other hand, I might think it just might be that Harvick breaks that streak and finally gets a win at Kentucky this weekend to help me out on my point standings. <laughs> I was going to say I don't know I don't know if I'd be giving up Kevin Harvick for any reason, but uh, you got to you got to wait till the rest of us get our picks in to even see who's still available. I'll just say that. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Again, we're looking at Kentucky Speedway coming up here with the Quaker State 400 presented by Walmart. It will mark the 10th time the NASCAR Cup Series has competed at Kentucky Speedway, dating, dating back to that inaugural race on July 9th, 2011, won by Joe Gibbs Racing, Kyle Busch. The nine previous races at Kentucky have produced six different pole winners, Kyle Busch, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jimmy Johnson, Brad Keselowski, Martin Truex, and Daniel Suarez. And five different race winners, again led by Brad Keselowski with three in 2012, 14, and 16, followed by Kurt Busch's two in 11 and 2015. Martin Truex has a pair in 2017 and 18 mentioned, Matt Kenseth in 13, and Kurt Busch in 19, with the two drivers that have one each. And Daniel Suarez became the youngest series pole winner at Kentucky Speedway last season, uh, 7-13 of 2019, at the age of 27 years, 6 months, and 6 days. Dale Earnhardt Jr. is the oldest pole winner at Kentucky, and that came in 0 30 of 2013, at 38 years, 8 months, and 20 days. Now, while Kyle, with Kyle Busch's win in the inaugural event at Kentucky in 2011, he became the youngest series driver to win at the age of 26 years, 2 months, 7 days. Matt Kenseth holds the record as the oldest to win with his 2013 victory at age 41, 3 months, and 20 days. In total, Four different organizations have visited Victory Lane in the Cup Series, again led by Joe Gibbs Racing and Team Penske, who are tied for the series most at three. Furniture Row also has two wins, and Chip Ganassi Racing got their first win there last season at Kentucky with driver Kurt Busch. So some interesting things to look at as we ponder over. uh, We're finishing up our race picks. I know for the Cup Series here, I think yep, I got James just added his, so I know that you'll uh, message Owen here after the show. We got a couple that we're waiting on him, but so far in the Cup Series, Sharon has Kevin Harvick, Sam has Martin Truex, two of the ones we've talked about, as well as then James taking Brad Keselowski. So that's why I said there's a lot of people to pick yet before you could think about changing drivers. <laughs> You're not going to let me change midstream here. Oh darn. <laughs> At least anyway. not until after I've picked. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I'll wait for Andy. Andy and Mike are in that group, too. They pick after you, so I have to wait until Andy picks. Uh, but, yeah, I think I'm just going to keep Kevin Harvick. How about that? Well, like I said, Even, I know the stats maybe don't, but this year so far, it'd be hard to give Harvick up. Yeah, it, it is. And I, I think I'm just going to kind of stick it out with him. Uh, and uh, see where he takes me. I, I hope it's uh, it le- points for him and points for me, too. Okay. Now, we do have a uh, Cup Series driver uh, pre-race audio here. Uh, we can play a couple minutes of it. This is Michael McDowell, the driver of the 34 for Front Row Motorsports Ford. Uh, let's see what he has to say going into Kentucky this weekend. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Doing great. 
Uh, are they allowing fans, Jay? Yeah, the dirt track, the dirt tracks around here anyway have uh, opened up. They've been open for about a month. Uh, if they can't get fans in, they did a couple of events uh, that were done on pay-per-view or live streaming pages uh, once they, they started opening up. Uh, dirt tracks are one where you can get a little more spread out, especially through the pit area, so they were open those up uh, fairly quickly. Okay. So uh, definitely uh, something to look forward to out in that area for fans to be able to get out there to the racetrack and watch some door-to-door racing, right, Jay? Absolutely, and uh, looking forward to it. You know me, I love to talk, so it's what I do best. Well, that's always a good thing for a person who's in broadcasting. Uh, Okay, so uh, we've got one person here for Hot Topic Sound Off. We're waiting for our second person to show up, and uh, we'll be able to go ahead and get started with that. Uh, Again, uh, racing at Kentucky this weekend starts with the Xfinity Series tonight on Thursday. So that race will start at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and uh, it will be, uh, I believe, it will be on NBC Sports Network. I might be wrong on that. It might be FS1. Uh, so check your local listings for that and uh, make sure you catch those races. Okay, I believe we have both of our guys here uh, for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. So I'm going to bring them into the queue. Let's start with uh, Andy. Welcome to the show, Andy, our co-host. Thank you, Sharon. Hope everyone's doing well on a little midday fan for racing action here. So uh, certainly uh, happy to be on like always. Okay, and I apologize to you. I I inadvertently left off the central time when I said noon was the correct time for the uh, (laughs) Uh, hot topics today. Oh, yeah, no problem at all. um, I'm sitting reserved today. I'm not actually doing anything productive, so uh, no worries at all. Okay, great. And also joining us is uh, Mike Orzel for Hot Topics. hey Okay, Mike, I owe you the same apology. My, I inadvertently left off the central time on or that and when I uh, let you guys know about the time. So uh, at any rate, let's go ahead and get into our NASCAR Hot Topics. Andy, I'm going to let you kick it off. You are the co-host. So let's go ahead and get started. Yeah, obviously uh, NASCAR came out this week with the uh, remaining races for the regular season for the top three divisions as well as the ARCA series. Certainly wanted to get everyone's thoughts on that. Um, Some of it I think we could predict, some of it not, and a couple surprises in there. So um, certainly curious to see what everyone has to say. Okay, Mike, let's go ahead and start with you on the schedule. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Obviously, the big uh, notable change there is a replacement of Watkins Glen with the Daytona uh, road course. We spoke about that back in, I believe it was February, when they announced that the Clash was going to be running on that road course. I don't think anyone expected it to work its way into the the points-paying regular season schedule. It's going to be really interesting to see how they do that. The big question that I've got for this one is – For the past several years, maybe a decade or so, NASCAR has maintained the policy 
that teams will be provided rain tires and have to run a windshield wiper for road course races with the idea that the event would be continued if it rained during the event. I'm wondering if they're going to have that same policy at Daytona. I know IMSA will run the sports cars in the rain, but I'm not sure if NASCAR will do that. I have, uh, has anyone heard that they've said one way or the other about that? No, I haven't. Okay. Okay. I had not. I would I have know. to assume that. Yeah, I would have to assume that they would have that as a backup plan. Although with a Daytona, that one might be a little bit trickier because it's not just a regular flat road course. Yeah, they've got that banking in there. Now that I know the IMSA cars, as Mike mentioned, don't do it, but I'm not sure if NASCAR can do that with their tires. Okay. Did you have anything more to add, uh, Mike? No, that's my uh, my piece on that one. Okay. Jay, your thoughts? Well, this is, as with everything else throughout this year, um, you know, the change has obviously brought about, or the pandemic has brought about changes. There's things we like and some things we didn't expect we're seeing for the first time, so it's exciting. But I hate to see courses like Mid-Ohio Canadian Tire Motorsports, Watkins Glen, lose these races. That's really unfortunate. Uh, We'll have to see how that affects the future. But I do like some of the things that have come about because of it. The midweek racing, the doubleheader, some of the doubleheaders we've seen. This road course one is going to be huge. Uh, And we listened to the the audio from from, uh, Sharon, help me out. I can't remember his name now. Uh, For the road course? Yeah. Chip Wiley. Chip Wiley. There we go. Uh, I'm talking about that of it wasn't expected as far as being like Mike said, a points race. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes, especially as a points race. But again, these guys are the top drivers at the top level for a reason. So they'll make it work. Okay. Andy, that leads us back to you so we can hear your thoughts. Yeah. Some, some bittersweet, um, you know, decisions had to be made here. And, you know, to Jay's point, several races won't be run at their respective venues, um, such as Watkins Glen. I think the Xfinity Series won't go to Michigan. Um, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, that one's not a huge surprise. I think when you consider border crossings right now with the the coronavirus going on, you, you had to figure that one probably wouldn't happen. But the big one that stood out to me, and I know Jay will feel the same way, was, no truck race at Eldora. Uh, that one has always been a highlight yeah. in the last several years of the season, and uh, certainly not seeing that on the schedule is a huge disappointment. But, um, you know, I think that uh, NASCAR ultimately – I'm not sure why they're not going there, but I think a lot of it, I think, has to do with, you know, where can they get, you know, a certain number of races in particular venues. I'm sure TV comes into play. Honestly, really don't know um, why they made the decisions they did with some of these, but you hate to see venues lose their races, but nonetheless, they came up with a interesting schedule. I mean, to see, um, you know, doubleheader action at Dover, not really a surprise there, combining both the spring and the summer weekends. Um, You know, same with Michigan, obviously a lot of races going on at Michigan to kind of combine both the spring and the summer weekends. Nice to see the Xfinity Series going to Road America. Wasn't sure that would happen, so that's kind of cool. And, um, you know, obviously hate to see Watkins Glen not run this year. Certainly that's always a highlight of the season as well. If it 
I think, put on some of the better road course races we've seen in recent times. Um, but nonetheless, uh, the intrigue of the unknown, the Daytona road course, I think, is going to um, – I think it's going to be rather interesting, um, especially when you consider that it's not just the Cup Series. We're going to see the Arca Series, Xfinity, uh, the trucks, and the Cup cars there. So I have a feeling that at least two of those four races are going to be uh, – uh, providing for some conversation, and I don't necessarily mean that in a good way. I think that some of these races could be a could be a real mess, you know. So it's going to be interesting, and uh, I think of all the the realigning and, and the uh, revised schedule that we have, certainly that one sticks out to me as the one that uh, I'm going to try to tune into the most to just see how it goes. I mean, it's an unknown event, and uh, you know, like we saw with the Roval a couple of years ago, um, you know, that provided a lot of pretty intense action certainly with the cup race. So probably going to see the same here. And, uh, but, but again, you know, NASCAR is in a tough spot where, you know, they have to make decisions on where to go. And uh, unfortunately some venues lose out. So, um, you know, unfortunate for sure for some, but I, I think that they've done their best to try to combine some spring and fall events and, and try to get in as much as this, this as they could. Um, with regards to the truck series, it looks like they still had some filling in to do. I think through the end of the summer, they were supposed to have been at about 17 or 18 events, and they're only going to be at about 14. So not quite sure how they're going to fill in the remaining, you know, races up to um, up to 23. But it looks to me like they've been doing quite well to get the Xfinity and Cup Series filled in to this point. So interested to see how this goes. And, uh, you know, like I said, definitely a couple races to, to tune into for sure. Okay, they ought to be uh, feeling pretty good about going back to Dover again uh, for uh, some racing. If they didn't win the first time, that gives them another chance to go after a victory. And there's a double header for both the Cup and the Xfinity Series there, so I think that's pretty cool. I love seeing WWT Raceway on the schedule uh, toward the later part of the uh, season. And... uh, uh, Michigan, of course, uh, uh, along with uh, Road America, all of that's really good. If the Daytona road course is anywhere near what we saw at Indianapolis, I think we've got a lot to look forward to. So, Mike, we're back to you. Yeah, kind of my con- my only concern with the new schedule that they pushed out is it's a bit of a definition of insanity kind of a situation. There's not, I don't correct me if I'm wrong. There's not a single Cup race that starts prior to 3 p.m. Eastern. I think we've had three, maybe four races since we've been back from the break that haven't had at least some weather delay, some of it's significant weather delay, and a lot of it could have been mitigated by starting earlier. I understand there's considerations as far as TV ratings and slot times and whatnot go, but there's got to be a little bit of give and take there because I'm sure they're losing viewership when people tune out and don't come back after a two- or three-hour rain delay. Um, I'd like to see some earlier start times on a lot of these races to hopefully mitigate some of that late-afternoon weather problems that they've been having. Well, some of that might might be a little impossible when they've got an earlier race already scheduled <clears throat> in those cases. So, uh, in, for example, you've got the cup race racing on the 23rd at Dover. Well, the Xfinity Series race is racing at 1 p.m., and they've got to take into consideration the West Coast as well. So I think it's a little tough. Jay, your thoughts? Well, up on that, uh, of I think it's kind of twofold. I know that it, some fans want to tune in and watch the race and then have something to do in the afternoon. 
Whereas there are some, though, that whatever they have going on, whether it be church or whatever in the morning, of the primetime aspect to it, that they're catching it, the primetime audience, which, and I don't work in the TV industry, I don't know the numbers that go with that, but I think there has been some increase because it tracks into primetime. So I think that's kind of a wash, if you will. One thing Andy mentioned there, uh, unfortunately, you're right, I'm a little disappointed about Eldora, but I kind of expected that based off of Tony Stewart. That, that track and some dirt track stuff there. I think that state is uh, pretty restricted. The one thing I really don't like that is capable. We saw Watkins Glen uh, have to be scrubbed. They were able to replace it with another road course, albeit a road, a road course within another track such as Daytona. There isn't another dirt track available to host a cup or a truck series. Uh, right. Uh, I know that ARCA runs on, on a couple, but I don't think any of them are equipped to handle the truck series. So they they can't find another viable dirt track to do that on. You know, I could I could throw out some names of some dirt tracks I'd like to see them on, but look, the safer barriers and all the, the standard that NASCAR has set for them to run at a facility uh, wouldn't be up to par to that unless it was pre-planned. So unfortunately, I don't think we're going to get to see that dirt race this year. And I think given the circumstances... Uh, it would be difficult for anybody to be in NASCAR shoes right now. I'm thinking, Andy. Yeah, it is. Obviously, you know, some tough decisions have to be made, and uh, unfortunately it will affect negatively some venues, whereas other venues will, you know, be able to get all the races in that they had hoped to. And, and you know, to your point, Sharon, it seems like, and, and to Mike's point as well, it seems like the Cup Series may have been penalized on their start times, but, you know, kind of looking through the schedule here, you know, in many of those cases, there are races being run earlier in the day. And I think that is, you know, some of the problem and maybe why we've seen weather delays more magnified this year. It's certainly since the return is because they've been trying to compress so much, you know, in a, in a two day weekend that, um, you know, by running races earlier in the day, it, it kind of puts, you know, the races later in the day into into the position of being prone to, to thunderstorms and weather delays. And certainly when you look at the Cup Series start times, I think they're going to get penalized a little bit more so than the other series because, you know, starting mid-afternoon in the summertime is always a risk no matter where you are in the country. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, obviously, how this plays out. But, um, you know, I think that ultimately NASCAR did the best job they could and, um, I haven't heard if they're going to have fans at any of these races. I guess that probably hasn't been announced yet. Um, but certainly you hope that, uh, you know, they'll at least start allowing fans to some of these venues moving forward. I know that there's, I think to this point, maybe three or four races that have allowed it. So hopefully that trend continues so long as the virus, um, you know, continues to cooperate. Yeah, the only I thing I've heard is Kansas has confirmed there will be no fans for Kansas's event. Uh, I haven't heard anything else regarding fans. Okay. Okay, so uh, let's move on to our next topic here. Uh, And, uh, Mike, I guess we'll go to you for that. Well, I mean, you all were in the uh, the group chat yesterday, so uh, brace yourselves. You know exactly what I'm going to bring up here. Um, I think Jimmy Johnson may be the recipient of the worst treatment. State the topic, though, and not your opinion. Oh, the this is uh, this Not is regarding Jimmy Johnson's uh, reinstatement into 
uh, into racing this weekend, 60 hours after testing positive for the coronavirus. So I've got, I guess I can open up the floor to see what everyone else says before I, uh, before I throw my opinion out there, but I've got some pretty strong opinions on it. I'll put it that way. Okay. So uh, Jimmy Johnson's going to be returning, uh, and Jay, uh, uh, we'll go ahead and start with you. Well, I'm happy to see he's back, that he's healthy, been cleared, and that he's going to be back. I know he missed the one race. We, we talked about it when we did our points update there through, throughout the uh, preview show. He is still in the top 15 or top 16 in points in 15th. Uh, so he did lose a little bit of ground, but with the way they've been running, that he still is within that championship hunt. And uh, we'll see how he does get back on track. But I was just happy to see that he is, is healthy and cleared back to return. Okay, Andy. Yeah, I mean, I guess first and foremost, glad he's coming back. I, I didn't expect that it would be that quick. I thought that he would be forced to miss at least, you know, two weekends. Um, so glad he's doing okay and, uh, you know, glad he's coming back. Um, you know, obviously we, we did talk about this a little bit yesterday. Um, yeah, NASCAR, don't take any thunder away from Mike. I know Mike's been no, gearing no, up for I, this. No, I certainly won't. Um, I <laughs> okay. certainly won't. Um, but, uh you know, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a tough spot here. You know, I think if I'm not mistaken, Johnson, I believe, went to the sanctioning body with the confirmed test, and I, you know, I think with that information, they had to make a decision to to not allow him to race. Um, you know, could they have maybe queried it and and asked for a second test just to be certain? They they probably could have done that, and I know that's certainly something that you know, we kind of talked about a little bit, but I think that unfortunately with it being COVID-19 and living in the day and age where, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty around it. I think NASCAR took the information that was provided by Johnson and made a a pretty quick decision to, to keep him away from the racetrack and obviously done, you know, out of the interest of the safety of his team and other competitors and everyone else associated with the sport. So kind of a tough decision. I mean, I, I don't necessarily want to say that NASCAR, you know, made a huge, huge mistake. I mean, especially considering it's a, it's the coronavirus. Could they have maybe queried it and, and tried to get a second test to be absolutely certain that that's probably something they could have done for sure. But at the same time, you know, they took the information provided, you know, by Johnson to them and, and they made a decision. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily – I, I really think that Johnson's going to be okay. I don't think he's in a horrible spot here. I, I certainly think that he has a chance to go out there and, and get a win and, and get himself into the playoffs. I mean, they've been running fairly decent this year at times. And, um, you know, and I believe he also will have the waiver in which even if he's not in the top yeah. 16, I, I think that he'll still get in as long as he wins the race. So um, there's still a, a good chance for him to – to recover and, and, and salvage, you know, the rest of the season. So, like I said, I think ultimately just, you know, kind of a difficult spot for NASCAR to be in to, you know, to to say yes or no, because if they, you know, if they don't take the information lightly and they allow him to race and he, he in fact was positive when, when maybe they thought he wasn't and, and a bunch of people get sick, then it, it really turns into a big mess, you know. So it's unfortunately um, – 
this pandemic, you know, has, is, is an extremely sensitive situation in terms of, you know, how to deal with it. And, you know, I think NASCAR made a decision that ultimately was, was you know, they, they took the safe route, which I, I don't necessarily disagree with. I think the only thing that, you know, and we can always talk after the fact about what they should and shouldn't have done, but I think after the fact, the only thing I would figure is could just make it absolutely certain that he had the virus. Um, you know, maybe a secondary test would have been the right way to go. But, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like they did what they had to do. And, you know, ultimately, I think Johnson and his team will, will be okay moving forward. And, you know, hopefully he'll have a good rest of the year. Okay, Mike. It's your self-talk yeah, time. I think Jimmy Johnson is possibly the recipient of the biggest disservice in the history of NASCAR with this. He had one positive test result from a test that has, I'm not sure what kind of test that he got, but everything that I've found, because I did a little bit digging on this, anywhere from a 15 to 25, and in some cases a 50% inaccuracy rate, uh, depending on the type of test that is administered and how it's administered. And to, with, to take him out of competition just based on that one singular test result was, without any kind of verification, was an incredible disservice. We talked about he's still in the top 15 in points, top 16 in points. Yes, he is still playoff eligible, but it took him out of the top 12. So now, instead of starting in position 1 through 12 this weekend in Kentucky, the 48 is going to start 20th. That's a huge disadvantage for that team because of this. And, you know, go back to, obviously, Jimmy never showed any symptoms. So it calls the entire protocol into question at this point, because if we're saying that, well, you know, he was asymptomatic. So just because he was cleared in in uh, three days after he tested positive, it probably just means he had it longer. Well, that calls the entire protocol into question of we're screening these people at the track who are coming in and trying to limit the ability of the virus to get into the gate. That calls the whole protocol into question or the alternative uh, solution to that one is it now discourages other drivers from seeking testing until they are symptomatic because they know that one single positive test, whether it's verified or not, will immediately exclude them from competition. So that is why I see this being a massive negative for the sport, not just for Jimmy Johnson, but in the sport in general. Jay. I, I completely disagree with that. I, I, we, we've seen that you, you can have the virus and not be symptomatic um, with what NASCAR has been doing of the screening they do, which is testing for the symptoms, unless you indicate some type of system, symptom, or in this case, come forward and say that you have a test that shows positive. I don't see how you can do anything but react as NASCAR did. And I don't feel that's going to discourage other drivers. Again, they have that integrity. They don't want to put others at harm to include their teammates. I mean, that's why we've gone through the quarantine that we've gone through. We've heard drivers, crew chiefs, all of them talk about how they would like to be at the shop with their crew. When they do their crew debriefs, they're doing it via Zoom um, or different means to prevent that close contact for that reason. And one thing I look at is NASCAR, again, has been the forefront in establishing not only the sport returning, but fans returning. They're going to do everything protocol-wise to ensure that as that front leader, they're doing it correctly and setting an example. 
So I don't see how you can say you think that they should have let him um, come in like that. The other thing I would say is even if it is a 100% positive test showing up back up clear on Monday and Tuesday when he took the follow-up tests of negative virus, and I don't think you can put a date on it, but if it runs its course in two weeks, how do we know he didn't get tested positive at the end of that two weeks? So to say that the Monday's and Tuesday's tests of negative show that he shouldn't have uh, or didn't really have it back on Friday is also invalid to me. Okay, Jay, Mike, if I, I mean, um, Andy, if I can kind of interject here as well. I have some real strong feelings about this too. And Mike, you've misplaced all of your anger and your frustration and your your points. Let's go to the history and the facts of what happened here. What happened is that Jimmy Johnson's wife was diagnosed with COVID-19. As a result of that, everyone that she comes in contact with has to be tested. So Jimmy Johnson was tested. He tested positive. Those tests can be taken within 24 hours. Jimmy Johnson, uh, he could have taken another test within 24 hours, but that would have been up to him to make that decision. Jimmy Johnson informed NASCAR that he took a test, was tested positive for COVID-19. It's not up to them to confirm that. It's up to Jimmy Johnson to confirm that. If Jimmy Johnson had gone 24 hours later and confirmed a negative test, and he'd have to do two negative tests within 24 hours, then he could have come back. But he was diagnosed when? On Wednesday? 24 hours? Friday. Thursday? Then that's one potentially... We don't know if it would have been negative or not. That's Thursday. Friday, a second one may have given him, but, again, we don't know that he would have tested negative in two consecutive times. He went back on Monday to be tested, and then, again, Tuesday to be tested, and we found out that he tested negative two times in a row. NASCAR is acting on the information that they were given. They were given that information by Jimmy Johnson. So the only thing they can do if a, if a driver informs him, NASCAR, that they are confirmed positive COVID-19, NASCAR has to respond to that for the safety of all the others at the track. They, and, in fact, a couple of his team members – had to be quarantined as a result of that. And uh, I don't think they were road members, though, but they were uh, part of his crew. So it's in my mind, it's totally misplaced criticism of NASCAR because NASCAR was responding to the information that they were given by Jimmy Johnson. So I don't see where NASCAR is at fault here. Andy. Yeah, you know, and like I said, um, I think that they they had to make a decision. And, and because of the fact that it's the coronavirus, you know, it's, you have to you have to do something to make sure that, you know, other people in the garage 
aren't aren't infected and you know and, and this goes back to what I originally said you know they they took his information you know and, and they made a decision based on that you know and and you know we can we can Monday morning quarterback it you know like I said you know maybe they could have done a second test but at the same time you know they, that would they have been up to Jimmy Johnson thought. to do that right you know and, and I, I see what you mean there so you know I you know, and that's the thing with with the sanctioning body is they're put in the position of making difficult decisions all the time. And you know, when someone comes to you with a, with a positive test, I mean, I, 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 I guess at the end of the day, if I'm going to just make one simple statement about it, I don't think what they did was wrong. I think that they made a safe decision, and you know, like I said, Jimmy, Jimmy's going to be okay. I don't think his season's destroyed. I think that. You know, first and foremost, he's healthy, which is awesome, you know. And I know there was a lot of concern, you know, about his own children getting sick, which thankfully they didn't. So he's healthy. He's coming back. You know, he's got the chance to go win races, make the playoffs, and have a good end of the year. And that's that's what matters most, you know. So, um, But at the end of the day, when it, what, it, what, it, what it really comes down to is, did NASCAR make a terrible decision? No, they didn't. So, um, And I know, Sharon, we're coming up to 130, so I'm sure you want to, Get in there and oh, say what you yeah. need to do with But uh, no, that's you. all I really had to counter. Yeah, no problem. That's all I had to counter with is um, I don't think the decision was bad. You know, that's really what it comes down to. Okay. Um, we are coming up to the uh, mark, the two-hour mark of our show today. And what that means is that we will go off the air, but we do continue recording the rest of the conversation. So if you're listening to the po- to the uh, podcast, it's going to be pretty seamless for you in this case because you'll be able to listen straight through and hear the overtime conversation that takes place after we go off the air uh, at, while the recording is still going. So with that, I don't think there's too much more to say because this is a podcast, so it's it's really going to be pretty seamless for most listeners. Okay, so um, has everybody had a chance to speak twice? Mike, any follow up? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of sticking by my position here. I understand your points and. and Please don't interpret anything I say as I'm, I'm unhappy that Jimmy Johnson didn't have the coronavirus. That's absolutely not what I'm saying at all. My concern is NASCAR has come back on this premise that they have this protocol in place in order to detect cases of this virus and prevent it from entering the racetrack. Um, everything according to the CDC says the virus has approximately a 14-day incubation period followed by three to five weeks' worth of active infection. Um, so if we back that up, assuming that Jimmy got healthy sometime this past weekend, Jimmy had, if he was actually positive for the virus, even asymptomatic, he's had this infection for the previous three to five weeks, not counting even the incubation period. That means that he entered the racetrack yeah, at Pocono, and he entered the racetrack at previous events through the NASCAR protocol and was not detected. Or... We're back to the case where a singular positive result, regardless of whether it's detected and reported by NASCAR or by the driver themselves, is now going to exclude a driver for competition. Jimmy Johnson doesn't really have a whole lot to prove. He's in his retirement season and whatnot. But say Timmy Hill tests positive for this virus, you know, one singular test. It's going to kind of discourage him 
from reporting that until he is absolutely sure because it's, he knows it's going to take him out of the car. And that is something that a driver like Timmy Hill or somebody who's struggling to, to make a name for themselves in the sport, missing one single race is a lot bigger to a guy like that than it is to a guy like Jimmy Johnson. So I can see it would have a chilling effect on self-reporting as well. NASCAR did nothing wrong, and you're blaming NASCAR for something that they did not do wrong. And it was up to Jimmy Johnson to get that test, that second test. It was not up to NASCAR to make sure that that happens. They are checking temperatures of every driver before they come in to the track. They're doing that for all of the personnel that come into the track, every single one of them. Jimmy Johnson was asymptomatic. So he may be one of those people that was carrying the virus that did not uh, – no one else has tested positive, but he, he may have been carrying the virus and was asymptomatic a of it. So because of the protocols that they have in place, he has very limited contact. He does not go to the garage where the crew is. He goes from his trailer directly to the car. He gets into the car after the race. He gets out of the car. He may talk to a reporter. But then he's going to go right back to his hauler or right back to his plane or his helicopter or whatever, and he's going to take off and go back home. So I don't see, again, where the protocol, the, the process that NASCAR has in place is, is done anything wrong. <laughs> I think they've done the best they can with the situation as it stands, and uh, I think it's a lot of um, alarm over something that is outside of their control. So uh, that's where I stand, and I stand very firmly on that point. Jay or Andy, do you have any follow-up? Yeah, I got I got two follow-up points. We haven't heard anything from Hendrick Motorsports, Rick Hendrick, or Jimmy Johnson saying that they feel they were wronged and should shouldn't have been prevented from racing. And I think that they again by self-identifying when he did find out about it sets that example of have the integrity. Uh, you know, if other drivers have it and try and hide it in the long run, that's going to come down bad on them for not having that integrity. The second thing is is even if the NASCAR were to up their protocol and test every person that's going to come into a track, then by your argument, you're going to say that's not valid because tests are 50% invalid. So even if they do a specific COVID-19 test, you're saying that the tests are invalid. So what is it you would like them to do? Okay. Uh, Andy? Oh, I, Andy, I don't have any follow-up. Any... Uh, no, okay. I'm, I'm good Mike? on this one. Uh, I think, yeah, you guys go ahead. Yeah, it's a tough position. And I, I don't, I, it, there's got to be some sort of integrity to the process. You're right. Integrity on the self-reporting side, but also integrity in, you know, it, it, from, you know from a certain perspective, it looks like there's lacking? a lot of theater going on. Of, yeah, Mike, we've Mike got, uh, you know, we're doing the temperature. integrity yeah. lacking? Mike, where is the integrity lacking? I'm not saying the integrity is lacking. I'm saying that I am agreeing with Jay that there needs to be integrity in the process. So by encouraging drivers to come forward with positive test results, the first step should be, okay, let's verify, not let's get you out of the car. 
I think that's where the improvement really needs to be. Isn't that up to the driver, whether he wants to verify or not? If the driver is reporting that they have COVID-19 and it's in their best interest to, if they want to make sure that they have or don't have COVID-19, wouldn't you go have a second test? Wouldn't you do that? Possible. If they were, okay, well, that's up to the driver. Would. If they want to get of a second test, you would, but Mike. It should, that is it up should to the also, driver. You know, it is not up to NASCAR. No, it is not up to NASCAR. If I find out that I have COVID nineteen, I'm going to go get a second test within 24 hours. I think where it comes down to NASCAR having some stake in it is if NASCAR is saying you can't be on the property, you can't participate in the As race. They should. As they have a stake in that. As they should. If somebody comes to them and tells them that they have COVID-19, it is NASCAR's responsibility to protect the other members at that track. And so they have a responsibility to not allow that person on the track. That is the CCD protocol given to them that if someone reports COVID-19, they are not allowed to come onto those premises. That is not NASCAR. That is CCD. So NASCAR did nothing wrong here. And I'm really a little bit frustrated with NASCAR taking the blame for things that are not their responsibility. And this is one of those examples. So I, I got a question for Mike. If FedEx, okay. if you were to self-identify and say you po- tested positive and FedEx said, okay, you can't come to work, would you not be the one to go get that second test and verify whether or not you are or not? Or do you feel that's FedEx's problem, that they should let you go to work until they verify it? Well, the protocol that's in exactly. place with my company is if I self-identify or self-report, the company also has testing procedures available either on a voluntary basis or if I self-report, the company will provide a test as well to verify that result before further action is taken. Um, the immediate reaction is that I will be uh, taken out of my immediate work environment exactly. depending on where I'm at at that point until the case is confirmed. However, it's still the company has a shared responsibility in the verification and handling of that, and it's not a knee-jerk um, reaction based on the and singular you're sure data of that, point. Mike. You're wait, absolutely wait, wait, Sharon, sure that on. that is the FedEx protocol. <laughs> Sharon, yeah. hold on. He, just, he that, just answered his own question. You said that they would, to start with, they would immediately, as soon as possible, take you out of the work environment. That is what NASCAR did. They took him but it's out for of the, the purpose of, It's for the purpose of verification. It's not, and it's, it's, not a, it's a, the also purpose a different environment. It's to take him out of the environment so he doesn't infect other people. But there's more consequences to taking a driver out of a points-based confet, uh, competitive sport where there's oh, an immediate okay. consequence to that. So if they were going to say the makeup driver is going to Okay, keep going. Big deal. Well, if, if they're going to say, well, the makeup driver, we're going to change the rules, so now the makeup driver 
whoever that may be, Justin Allgaier or someone else, the points that they earn, the position that they finished with that race car is scored from the driver who is taken out of that position. That's a little bit more of a discussion to be had. But under the current system of whoever the driver who starts the race is gets the points, that effectively removes the, you know, the, the driver who has a suspected case of, uh, of COVID-19. It removes them from the ability to, uh, to benefit not just themselves, but their entire team. I bet you 10 to 1, Michael, that if you went to FedEx and you told them that you had COVID-19, I bet they would tell you to go see your doc if they want to verify it. If they're as interested in verifying it as you say they are, they're going to send you to your doctor to be retested. Well, of course they would, but the entire operation doesn't revolve around my presence at the operation, and the operation itself isn't negatively affected by my absence like it is when a driver who is the sole focus for the point system is removed from that operation. So it's a bit Let of an apples and oranges comparison. Let me there. go back to the CCD protocol. The CCD protocol. NASCAR followed that to the letter. And so does FedEx, by the way. They followed the CCD protocol, Michael. <laughs> and I'm saying so this is exposed a flaw in the way that that it's protocol not is being applied. Protocol. It's the CCD protocol. And my point here is that this has exposed a flaw in how the CDC protocol is being applied in the case of NASCAR. You can't make an apples and oranges comparison there. Don't put the blame on NASCAR. Put the blame on the CCD then, not NASCAR. I can put it in more than one location because NASCAR has input on this process as well. They're They're not beholden to the CDC without the ability to provide input for effective change. And if nothing else, this should be a springboard to say, hey, this has exposed a problem with the way we're handling things in the future when this situation presents itself again, and it most likely will, we probably should modify this process in order to make certain improvements to it. So the CCD's protocol has screwed Jimmy Johnson in your way of thinking. Is that right? In a way, I, I believe it has. Okay, then blame the CCD. Don't blame NASCAR. How do you know that NASCAR isn't going back to the CCD? Because they do... You use them as a um, protocol. They use their protocol in order to uh, schedule a lot of these races, and they follow what the states are doing and what everybody else is doing. So NASCAR is trying to be cooperative within the state government, within the U.S. government, within the CCD protocols. If they go back to them, we don't know if they if they are or are not going back to them to expose that. So again, I don't see where NASCAR is at fault here. Well, I guess we're probably just going to end up having to disagree on this one then. I'm not saying NASCAR is entirely at fault, but I also am not saying that they're yes, completely blameless in the situation. You said that NASCAR completely and uh, just horrifically wronged Jimmy Johnson, and we've str- I strongly disagree with that. I'm not going to speak for everybody else. 
but I strongly disagree with that. It it's difference in the concussion protocol. No matter how it comes about, if there is a question of a driver having a concussion, they're coming out of the car. And to get cleared, whether it's the driver's responsibility, NASCAR's, doesn't matter. Until they are cleared, they're not getting back in that car. And a team is going to back that decision by having them come forward and say so and hold that spot for them and not have an issue with it. In this case, that clearance wasn't given until Monday or Tuesday. And like I said, Hendrick Motorsports, Jimmy Johnson... None of them have complained about it and said they were wronged. Why is it you feel they were wronged? And, and uh, in addition to that, Hendrick Motorsports could have required Jimmy Johnson to go back and have a secondary test, and they didn't. <laughs> so why isn't Hendrick Motorsports at fault? Well, first to address Jay's point regarding the concussion protocol, again, it has to be a confirmed diagnosis by, of a concussion. It's not just a single swab test that says, yes or no, you've got a concussion. It's an examination that involves, depending on, you know, what is specifically the injury is, it's going to involve potentially CAT scans or some other form of diagnosis beyond just a cotton swab test. So it's a much more involved confirmation process. I agree with the concussion protocol in that when a driver does have a confirmed concussion, they shouldn't be allowed to race for their own safety. But, again, it's the matter of confirmation before that step is taken. With regard to Hendrick Motorsports and uh, anyone else speaking out in, in, uh, in protest to this, NASCAR has shown a long history of being pretty heavy-handed whenever somebody comes out in criticism of whatever they do. So I don't put a oh, whole lot of stock on. in. Come on. I'm not just talking about in this case. Remember back four or five years ago, when Tony Stewart criticized the love net rule, they fined Tony Stewart $50,000, and then three weeks later they changed the policy. And COVID-19, Mike, huge it's, difference. That was just one example of NASCAR penalizing somebody for criticizing the sanctioning body. Do you think it would have been deemed a criticism if Hendrick Motorsports had said, we'd like to take a secondary test just to confirm? Do you think that would have been deemed as criticism? Mike? I think it would have been deemed as criticism if they said that we disagree with NASCAR barring our driver until there's confirmation of this case. I absolutely think that would have been taken as criticism. Well, somebody who has no people skills whatsoever would probably approach it that way. Anyone with people skills would have said, we would like to just confirm that Jimmy Johnson has COVID-19, so we'd like a secondary test before you take him out of the car. We'd like to take a secondary test. Do you think NASCAR would have been insulted or hurt by that? I don't know. I can't speak for NASCAR. Oh, um, what on. I do know is, I, you know, <laughs> just just because somebody hasn't spoke up and said something about it, I'm not privy to the you know the personal opinions of these people. I've got my personal opinion. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. But I'm I'm glad to state it. But I'm also not beholden to NASCAR. I, I don't have a NASCAR license. I buy tickets when I go to the races. Good. So I don't have to worry about angering the sanctioning body and being penalized by them. So you really don't know what goes on behind the scenes at NASCAR. Is that correct? No. I mean, I'm a, like I said, I'm a fan of racing. I'm a spectator, so and I really enjoy watching know. it and thinking about the business. You really don't know what goes on behind the scenes with NASCAR. You don't know if they've gone to the CDC with their concerns. You don't know if Hendrick Motorsports approached them and said that we'd like to take a second test, and maybe, in fact, that second test was taken. 
You don't know any of that, right? You're right. What I do know is okay. the very public uh, public uh, perception here, so or you at least what it looks like from this perspective. Based on stuff that you don't know. Well, I'm looking at the the public facing image of NASCAR right now, and that public facing image that's presented to everyone shows that either A NASCAR missed a case of COVID-19 for several weeks, or B NASCAR barred the greatest active driver from driving based on one singular test that very likely was a false positive. Those are two. You know how many complaints I've facts. heard. How many complaints I'm sorry, have, have I heard? You know how many complaints I've heard about this? This same concern. Probably mine. One. <laughs> yours and yours alone. One. I've heard nothing from Jimmy Johnson. I've heard nothing from Hendrick Motorsports. I've heard nothing from NASCAR to say maybe we should change our protocol or maybe the CDCCD should change their protocol. I've heard one person make that complaint. One. So I think it's a little bit unfounded, and that's my point. Okay. I mean, I, I see your point. But, you know, I, like I said, I still maintain mine, and we're going to have to disagree on it. Okay. Any other thoughts here from anyone else? Uh, nope. I think my, pop, my, my popcorn needs more butter. <laughs> here, here's the thing. You can't come out and make claims like that and not have substantiated facts to back it up. And to be the only person to come out with that complaint tells me a lot. And so I think you really need to think about, uh, Mike, you really need to think about what you're complaining about because you're establishing a reputation right now of complaining about a lot of things. And if you're that unhappy with this sport or you think that you can manage it better, then I think you need to go to NASCAR and apply for a job. And we'll see if NASCAR hires you. Okay. We are at 1248. 1.48 Eastern time. Go ahead. As I say, is that for me to, to, to bring on the next topic? Yeah, what you I got, think it's Jay? time because <laughs> it angers me. It angers me when people come out like they know everything and they absolutely know nothing. And I, it really angers me. And I don't like seeing it on my show. So let's well, just take it from there. I'll, ha- I'll have to get the forms together for application to work for the uh, Jay Hoosman Cup. I'll work on that this week. Um, okay. Going to the all-star race, which will be uh, this coming up week. Uh, two things. I, I just uh, well, I was on Twitter. I saw that they're talking about the uh, what they're calling the underglow uh, possibly being used. Or I don't know if it's actually been officially decided yet, but there's a lot of talk about it. Uh, they cited three or four sources saying that it would be. Uh, what your guys' thought on that was? Okay, Andy, do you want to start? Um, I 
1,000% apologize. Jay, can you repeat that question? I, I missed half of that. I'm sorry. You've seen, like, you go back to the movie um, The Fast and the Furious, the underglow on cars. And from what I read, it was going to be possibly based on manufacturers. So Ford's was obviously going to be blue. I believe there's a leaked photo already out there uh, of a glow under underglow in blue. I don't know, Chevy's maybe be a yellow or a gold, and I have no idea as far as Toyota's, but adding that to the all-star race. And then the, the second part of it is is who's not in of who we're looking at voting into the all-star race if they don't open uh, run into the main event via the open. Uh, the glow, to be honest, I, I've actually never seen a picture of it, so I would have to, um, I'd have to go take a look and see what it looks like. But I mean, if it adds a cool element to the race, then why not? You know, I think that uh, anything like that that adds something just a little bit extra to the excitement of the race is cool. So I'll have to go honestly see what it looks like to to formulate a real opinion on it. But um, certainly, uh, you know, if it adds to that coolness and wow factor, then then awesome. You know, that'd be pretty cool. Um, with regards to the, the fan vote driver, um, I haven't really taken a close look at that open entry list, but, um, you know, there's obviously some pretty pretty big names in there that would have a good chance at it. Uh, so, um, really hard to say. I think, uh, you know, you got some of the Stuart Haas guys in there, and then, um, you know, Byron certainly I think would have to be a candidate for that, you know. Um uh, De, ben, De Benedetto, you know, there's, certainly Matty D, I think, would be probably the top of that list, um, you know. So, so yeah, there's a lot of a lot of good candidates for that for sure. Okay, Mike. Um, I didn't know they were actually serious about the underglow thing. I, I'd seen a couple pictures floating around, but I wouldn't, but not from any of the sources that I would consider. Uh, you know, it's from the same kind of guys who make the. Uh, the concept paint schemes and whatnot. So I didn't know they were seriously considering it. Um, just real quick to touch on the fan vote. NASCAR did release the, I think it was the top 10 for fan vote. Uh, Bubba Wallace was lead and actually released it in order of how it was running so far. Uh, Bubba Wallace was leading the fan vote followed by, Oh, I can't remember who was sitting second. Matt Benedetto was sitting third though. Um, they didn't release any sort of percentages as far as, you know, who has, you know, where they're at vote totals and how far back the next driver may be. Um, but that, they, that is available out there. Um, back to the underglow thing, I think it'd be a neat idea for the all-star race, but I'm not sure about implementing it into uh, the full-time thing. Um, obviously, for day races, it probably wouldn't work anyway. Uh, but NASCAR has pushed back a few times over the, few, uh, over the years uh, regarding the installation of those LED position lights um, like you see on IMSA cars, Formula One, and Indy cars that show the running position of the car or some other information on the side of the car in uh, displayed LED format. And my understanding was the pushback on that was based on a traditionalist approach to how NASCAR views the way that their cars should be presented. So maybe that opinion's coming around. Uh, maybe it's something we might see on the Generation 6 car. I think it might be neat for the All-Star race, but I'm not sure where place might be in the long-term future of NASCAR. Okay, Jay. Oh, yeah, I definitely think it's a, it's a, a one-race deal on, under the all-star format, especially since they run that at night, like you said. Um, I think during a points race, it can become more of a distraction than anything. So 
I don't want to see it become a norm and, and used every night race. But I think for the all-star race, I think it would be a really cool addition. Again, that race is totally about putting on a show for the fans. So I think that's a great implementation if they move forward with it. As far as the the, uh, the voting for the all-star driver, voting-wise to get in, um, I know you named Bubba Wallace as the uh, the leader. Uh, Matt DiBenedetto, third, I believe. Corey LaJoy was fifth. And then Eric Almarola, sixth. And that's one of those where I kind of, we've seen it in the past of it's not always the best driver that's the fan favorite. But if they don't race their way in, I think fans should look more at who's deserving to get in than who they just want in. And that's where I look at Matt Benedetto and Eric Almarola, to me, are the top two as far as that, which I think they will race their way in. And uh, since Andy didn't jump in there, I believe Clint Boyer might be the one that's in second position. Yeah, you know, there's um, there's a really good chance um, that, you know, several of those guys are going to race their way in. I believe that, you know, each winner of the stage in the race, so three, you know, ultimately three drivers will advance based on the two stage wins and the, the overall race wins plus the fan vote. So ultimately four of those drivers will advance to the all-star race, which is a pretty, you know, significant number. So I would have to believe that, you know, when you look at Matty D, especially with his record at Bristol and Almarola, Boyer, you know, Byron, those guys will have a really good shot to make it in. I would have to think. I'm trying to uh, to find this uh, this vote total uh, or the vote list right now. I'm I'm doing it on questionable hotel internet, so bear with me as I try and Google it up. I think you are right that Clint Boyer was second on that list. Uh, don't forget, there's going to be three drivers who race their way in. So potentially, if the top three fan vote drivers uh, win each of the three different segments of the open. Um, then you could have the fourth place or even further on back uh, uh, in the fan vote be eligible uh, to be voted into the all-star race from there. Okay. Uh, I I, I, I was going to say, I was trying to pull it up as well. And that I do see that when you're talking about the racing, barring anything crazy, but it is Bristol now as well, not just the uh, the mile and a half at Charlotte. So Bristol's going to add that layer of possibility of wreckage um, getting to the final finish. But I do think, as Andy pointed out, Clint Boyer, Almarola, Matt DiBenedetto, probably your top ones to race their way in. And that is also, though, a good track for Bubba Wallace. So we'll have to see how they line up to start with. Um, that's going to play a huge factor. We mentioned the, the shorter distances for that setup. So uh, this is one of those, uh, you know, the way it came about, COVID-19, deal at Charlotte, it happened. I am really pumped about seeing this race at Bristol. Yeah, I am too, Jay. I think this is going to be uh, a really fun one for sure. Okay, so is there any other follow-ups? No, I had nothing else there then. No, I'm not okay. finding. Any, I'm finding a couple articles that just give the leader, but I can't find the uh, the list, or at least not readily available, of the uh, the entire top ten there. Okay, so um, Andy, did you have any other hot topics? 
I don't. Uh, I think that uh, I think I'm all good for uh, for this one. Okay, Jay, we're at the top of the hour anyway, so let's go ahead and start the roundtable. All right. Follow me on Facebook at Michael Hoosman under my name, MopartMJ8, at Twitter and Instagram. As I mentioned, Saturday I'll be at Jackson Motor Speedway, uh, your capital city raceway, for Saturday night. And uh, I did find it, Mike, here, uh, the one I saw anyway. Give you a quick rundown. The top five were Bubba Wallace, Clint Boyer, Matt D. Benedetto, William Byron, Corey LaJoy. Sixth through tenth was Tyler Reddick, Christopher Bell, Timmy Hill, Eric Almarola. Wow, Almarola was all the way back in ninth. That blows my mind. And then tenth was Austin Dillon. Okay. That's pretty neat to uh, see Timmy Hill in the top ten. Thank you, iRacing. There you yes, go. Yes, yes, indeed. Thanks for the positive comment. Okay, uh, Mike, what are you doing? Yeah, it's uh, Mike Orzell on Facebook, Mike underscore Orzell on Twitter. Um, look for a few more articles coming out on Fan for Racing blog regarding uh, some potential tracks that NASCAR could consider revisiting. Uh, I'm not sure what the release schedule on that is, so just keep your eyes open for them. Okay. Andy. And uh, for me, Alasky14 on Twitter, and um, looking forward to uh, all the races at Kentucky this weekend. Um, Excited about a, a midweek Xfinity race tonight, as well as one tomorrow. So, should be a lot of fun. Looking forward to trying to watch what I can this weekend. All right, and I too am fan for racing sites on uh, Twitter. We are fan for racing blog and radio everywhere else, including the website fanforracing.com. And uh, we will cover the races that are going on this weekend, including tonight's races on Thursday night. Uh, it's been an interesting. Um, show tonight, today for our podcast, and we hope our listeners uh, grab the popcorn and tune in uh, because it's going to be an interesting one. And uh, a, a big shout out to all of our listeners. We appreciate each and every one of you. And uh, a big shout out to our Fan for Racing crew. Everybody is passionate about this sport, and uh, that is uh, what makes us tick. So uh, hopefully we can move forward from here and uh, be on a positive side. So let's, uh, let's uh, call it a wrap, guys. All right. Enjoy the racing. Good night, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.